Instead of syncing your phone with iTunes, downloading an MP3 into your mobile device, you can stream episodes of MTR with the Stitcher Smart Radio app. Stitcher allows you to listen to My Take Radio via your 4G, 3G, or Wi-Fi connections. Downloading it is quick and easy. Head over to stitcher.com forward slash my take and you'll even be eligible to win some money. Enter my take all one word in the promo box and you'll be eligible to win $100 courtesy of my take radio and Stitcher. MTR live starts right now. This coverage is live and uncensored, so if you have any small children present, you may want to have them leave the room. What's up, guys? My Take Radio episode 182 for Thursday, May 1st, 2013. I'm your host, Rich, and our call number is 347-324-3541. Again, our call number 347-324-3541. You can also hit up our feedback line, 347-815-0687. That's 347-815-0MTR. We are broadcasting live on blog on Blog Talk Radio and on Mixler. So, quick reminder, I'm trying to get into the habit of making sure you guys know this. You can listen to the show via the Blog Talk Radio page, um, blogtalkradio.com forward slash mytakeradio. You can chat in the live chat room that's open for the show on that page. Or you can listen via Mixler, M-I-X-L-R dot com forward slash mytakeradio. And there's a chat in there as well. Um, you can also listen to the show using the call-in number 347-324-3541. Just don't hit option one to enter the caller queue, and you can listen to it that way. And I'm pleased to announce that Blog Talk Radio seems to be stepping their game up, and they have actually made their player actually work with HTML5. Now it's an HTML5 player, which will allow you to play the show from your mobile device. So if you actually go to mytakeradio.com and click the listen tab, you'll be able to have the player play the live show on your mobile device. I actually tested that briefly and it seems to be running well, so hopefully that'll work. As always, if you can't listen to the live show, you can always pick up archived versions of the show either via iTunes, uh, Stitcher, also we're putting them on YouTube, you can watch them on your Xbox or on your PlayStation 3. And, of course, any of the other podcatchers that you use as well, including um, RSS on MyTakeRadio.com. All right. So, with that out of the way, there's a couple of things I want to discuss. Uh, first off, obviously, our Facebook fan page, as always, uh, definitely is jumping and gets better and better every day with all the different stuff we put up. 
So I want to send, of course, a welcome to all the new fans on the fan page, as well as the existing ones that contribute to make the fan page very, very interesting. Now, I was contemplating doing something different starting possibly next week, and that is actually just having a unified chat in the site, in the listen tab under all the players, and that way everybody could just go into one chat room and talk about the show and either listen to the show via Blog Talk Radio or Mixler, but they'll be able to use that unified chat room to listen to to comment on the show and listen to the show. So it's something that I'm working on and I've been weighing it out and part of the inspiration for it came from the guys at the GFQ network, Andrew Zarian and those guys, Spencer Coburn, that they actually have the live stream for the show and then they have a unified chat room in there and people can just comment on all the different shows that are playing at once and it kind of just keeps things open and working in a more fluid fashion. So it's something I've been thinking about and I may research it a little further and maybe try it out next week. And the reasoning for it, like I said, is just going with a more unified chat and having everybody just listen through the site instead of splitting the audience up and having a Mixler chat and a BTR chat. I mean, it works, but it's it's something that's, you know, it's a bit of a pain in the ass. I mean, you know, especially on the BTR side, because Slick has to mod that and also do the switchboard and stuff. But if we, if we create one unified chat, things will work a little bit better. Now, that's something I may be testing out next week. As always, I will keep you guys up to speed with regards to how that goes. Also, this week, we actually started doing some streaming on Twitch TV. You can find us on there. It's my ta- uh, Twitch t- uh, twitch.tv forward slash my take radio altogether underscore TV. So you'll be able to check out some of the live streams that we're doing there. It's it's still a work in progress as I get the hang of the whole Twitch streaming thing. A lot of people really like that we use a lot of the um, retro games, a lot of the old stuff in our Blast from the Past features, and we're putting those on YouTube. And the crazy thing is that it's cool to play the retro games and see people tuning in and checking them out and then hearing from different people throughout the day, hey, man, I saw the, that you were playing you know, Capcom Fighting Evolution. I remember that shit, or... Hey, I, I hadn't pl- seen that game in years. I mean, it was really cool, and we're definitely going to be embracing streaming a lot more going forward. Slick also got himself a capture card, so Slick, once he gets his rig set up and running, Slick may be running some streams as well. So these are these are things you'll be looking, you can look forward to within the coming weeks. And you know, we're really looking forward to just switching things up and giving you guys a different experience. So. On an unrelated note, and this kind of goes into this week's monologue, so to speak, I wanted to talk about something very interesting that's happened with the site, and it's a trend I've been kind of embracing as of late, and I actually enjoy it better because there's less pressure on us. I mean, I I enjoy part of it, but this other thing is kind of, it's kind of taken more of a, of a root as of, as of late. And that's basically the way we handle our posting. And the reason I want to get into that is because a lot of you guys come to the site and read all the different content and stuff. And I I had an interesting question from one of the guys I worked with that's been checking out the site as of late. Um, He says to me, he goes, listen, man, you know, I like reading the site and stuff, but I don't, you know, I asked him, I'm like, what do you go to the site for? He's like, oh, I like just reading all the different articles, seeing all the trailers and stuff. But he was like, you guys aren't really like breaking news on the site. And he was, we were talking about it and 
it ties into an article written by Tim Ferriss from the who did who did the four hour work week about not forcing yourself to be a news site first and having what's called evergreen content, which is content that's opinion based, um, gets people talking, lives on longer than news. And I've realized that over the last couple of weeks, we've been doing a lot more evergreen content in the sense that we are putting up news and we're putting up stuff like that, but it's not our sole focus. Like we're doing all the game reviews and we're doing Blu-ray reviews and stuff like that and buried and things of that nature, things that are time sensitive as always. But there's also stuff like, you know, Netflix Q reviews, Gamefly Q reviews, uh, stuff like that, that allows you to, you know, just enjoy the show from a, uh, enjoy the show and the content from a different light. And with that said, I've realized that I think it's just a better approach in the sense that, yeah, we're always going to put up news items and stuff like that, but it's not going to be the driving force in what we do because, you know, we all we all got full-time gigs and it's hard to, to have a dedicated person scouring RSS and news and all the stuff and, and put up a lot of the stuff that breaks on the spot. Sometimes it happens, I mean, if it's international stuff and, I'm up at three or four o'clock in the morning. You guys will see posts go up that way because it's stuff that I'm able to access because I'm awake, but stuff that breaks during the day, especially, you know, with a regular, with a regular gig, it's a little more difficult. So it's just a trend that we've kind of embraced as of late. And I've realized it just because more people are bringing it to my attention. So you're going to be seeing a lot more of that quote unquote evergreen content, but you're also going to see different types of reviews and other stuff. I mean, we're really trying to get into the comic reviews, especially with a great working relationship we have with Dark Horse, where they're sending us books every week. And that goes into the next thing, which is, you know, we want to bring on some more writers. I know a lot of you guys that have sent in writing samples are looking to write in a guest capacity. And that's cool, you know, for those of you that want to get a post here or there. But familiarize yourself with what we do. The last couple of people that have been sending guest posts in, they just want to get backlinks to their site. Some of the people are, are, you know, utilizing plagiarism and we do check for that shit, especially if you send me a post about um, an Xbox news item and it's been reposted on 17 different sites by people using the same name, which is pretty much guys that run link farms, which are, you know, creating and copying, pasting articles and putting guest posts everywhere and then using that to bolster their own traffic and their own hits. And that that's not what we're all about. If you want to submit a guest post and you're familiar with what we do, trust me, we will know. We will definitely know. Either myself, Andrea, or Slick will know. I mean, I have most of the tools to check for plagiarism and all that shit, and I do check. So if you are interested in a guest posting capacity... Get acquainted with what we do, write something that doesn't look, you know, ripped off, and we'll take it from there. But we are looking for people to come into the fold as, you know, just ongoing writers, guys that can become part of the MTR family. I mean, most of the people that write for us, either we have relationships with off-air or they're listeners of the show that have come on board and have decided to, you know, work with us and uh, Ben, Ben is a, a shining example of that. Ben came on board as a listener and then he wanted to, you know, do the writing and stuff like that, which is cool. And Ben has been a tremendous asset. Same thing with, um, you know, Jay, Jay is, um, you know, Jay, we met through house of glory, came on board doing all that stuff. Uh, blade and quark 
I know those guys for off air. Obviously, Blade being my uh, my nephew and Slick as well. You know, Slick I know off air uh, personally. So that's what I'm saying. Like we have a lot of these these people that come on board just through personal relationships. But we want to grow that a bit more, and we're trying. Like I said, we want to bring in writers primarily for the comic section. I want to get another writer on board to handle some tech stuff. Um, also, hopefully, some some more reviews, some hardware stuff, and kind of some some geek culture shit, which is a a real terrible category to use at the moment. But you know, talking about toys, collectibles, and stuff like that, because that's something that a lot of us are into. Myself, Slick, especially uh, Captain Quark. We all we all collect a lot of cool shit and. We want to try and share some of that with you guys as well. So that's some of the stuff that we are working on. Anyway, we got a lot to discuss. We got UFC 159. Uh, we got Raw for this week. We got some wrestling news. We have a lot of crazy comic news this week, including some what-the-fuck news on the Marvel front with something regarding Fantastic Four, which I'm sure um, our very own Slick will have his opinions on that. And I know some of you guys will be gracing us with your opinions, either in the Mixler chat or in the blog talk radio chat. So we're going to be touching on that a little bit. Um, last but not least, one thing I want to acknowledge video, um, our buddies at the GFQ network, um, including, uh, Matt man and all the, the great shows on that network have been breaking our chops about doing video. Uh, we were supposed to launch video last week and, um, you know, we just haven't set it up in in the sense that the space where I record the show, I need to divide it and kind of close it off a bit to do video in a way that, you know, you don't see like my TV and all my shit in the background and get distracted. So um, video is happening. It is 100% certain. It's just a matter of getting our, our rig in order and getting shit working uh, perfectly. Not only that, but obviously getting comfortable in front of the camera I've been trying to do some different things, some Google Hangouts and some stuff, and just trying to get better at speaking to the camera instead of speaking to the microphone. So I'm sure that the first couple of episodes we do with video are going to have my eyes wandering all over the place trying to find a place to, to focus when I do the show. So this is just something to consider. But we are going to make the jump to video sooner rather than later. I think it's it's time for that. And I'm sure our YouTube audience will appreciate it, especially because a lot of them tell me that, you know, it's cool that they can watch the show on YouTube, but they just don't feel they can connect because it's not it's not a regular show. It's just audio with a fancy picture in the screen. But something we're working on. Figured I'd share it with you guys anyway. So. This weekend, of course, we had UFC 159 and uh, that's going to be a huge Part of this week's MMA discussion. I was going to be joined by Ben, but Ben is watching Iron Man three. Lucky bastard, and um, I'm sure I'm sure he'll let me know what he thought about it. Obviously, without spoiling it, since so many people have been doing that already, including what happens after the credits. But I've also been hearing rumors that what's happening after the credits is not going to be the same in every theater. Like the the UK audience and the international audience got one thing, we may be getting something else. So we'll see how that pans out. Well, with that said, let's get into this week's MMA news.
So UFC 159 came and went this past weekend, and there was a lot of hype going into this card for multiple reasons. Obviously, John Jones, Chael Sonnen, Chael Sonnen just doing a, a, a god-tier job of selling this card. Not to take any, anything away from Johnny Bones Jones, who of course is our fighter of the month for the month of April. But, um, you know, I think I think that without Chael, had Jones been fighting a Lyoto Machida or something like that, the hype would have been there, but it wouldn't have had the same energy. It wouldn't have had the same feel as everything else. So, you know, the the crazy thing is that this fight, this card as a whole was, I, I really was going to say that it was going to be very academic, but the crazy thing was that it surprised me on multiple levels, besides the finishes and the quality of the fights, but just some of the random happenings that, that went down, including some stuff with some refs and some crazy freak injuries. It was, it was a wild, wild card. And I got to give a shout out to, to the crew at Xbox live for allowing us to watch UFC 159 for free on, on Xbox. And it was a, a great experience. The only thing that I have to say that was a little weird, that was that the closed captioning was on during the, um, the UFC on Xbox app. And we got to see a lot of the weird closed captioning stuff. And, the funny thing was that there were some weird things that happened, like some weird voices that came out, which a lot of people were talking about. And I actually got to see the closed captioning for that show up. And it was like garbled letters and shit. It was it was a little crazy, but um, props to Xbox Live for hooking us up and allowing us to enjoy 159. Not only that, but we got to do the fight picks through Xbox Live. And I fared pretty well. I got, I got a couple of fights right, so I don't feel too bad. But let's get into some of the fights on the card that I wanted to talk about. Leonard Garcia and Cody McKenzie was what I said in speaking with Ben the last time he was on. It was pretty much a fight for Leonard Garcia's job. With that, you know, Cody McKenzie took the fight via unanimous decision. I am awaiting the news item saying that Leonard Garcia was released considering how how well he has not fared in this latest UFC fight. I mean, He's his record has been suspect and, you know, Ben feels especially that he should have, you know, like uh, more than five losses, but you don't leave it in the hands of the judges. Nonetheless, with this loss, I think Leonard Garcia may be on his way out of the UFC. We'll see what happens. Um, Brian Caraway came in on short notice to fight Johnny Bedford, ended up securing a victory via guillotine choke in round three. Nice performance from Mr. Caraway, especially considering how many people truly, truly dislike him, including our very own Ben. But um, definitely a solid performance, good guillotine on his part in the third round. The ladies took center stage with Sheila Gaff taking on Sarah McMahon in a very, very competitive bantamweight fight. Uh, Sarah McMahon really took it to her using her wrestling, uh, very aggressive. The, The crazy thing was that, you know, Sheila Gaff came in and wanted to engage immediately. And the problem is that when you're dealing with somebody with an incredible wrestling pedigree like Sarah McMahon, um, it, w- it was crazy that she came in and really just gave up that takedown immediately. And it was just academic from there um, with you know Sarah McMahon using her, her wrestling and really taking it to Sheila Gaffin. Like I said, a very impressive performance taking the fight via TKO. Now, one of the first weird 
events of the evening was Ovin St. Preux taking on GM Volante in a light heavyweight fight. Turns out, very competitive OSP taking the first round. GM Viante looking really, really solid in the second round. Um, Viante closed out the bell in round two with a nice knee. Round three started, and turns out that OSP caught GM Volante in the eye with his thumb. And, you know, he tells the ref that he can't see. And obviously the ref was like, can you see? He was like, no, I can't. And he was expecting, you know, the five minutes to recover from the foul. But there was a a fuck up in communication. And the ref calls the fight via the eye poke saying, once you say you can't see, I have to call the fight. Which was ridiculous because usually if you get poked in the eye or kicked in the groin or any of that shit, what ends up happening is you get five minutes to recover. It's, it's you know, pretty straightforward. It seems that this guy, you know, Kevin Mulhall, fucked up. And he just, he was like, oh, I got to call the fight. So it sucks because, you know, GM Vellante was, was doing pretty good. He expected to get his five minutes. Victory goes to OSP via majority technical decision after accidental eye poke. Very, very, very weird. Our, fir- our second freakish thing of the evening, um, Rustam uh, Kabilov was taking on Yancey Medeiros in a lightweight fight. Um, pretty competitive up until a suplex that um, ended up taking place in the fight, at which point Yancey Medeiros dislocated his thumb, which was crazy. If you look online, you can actually see the GIF and the video clip of it, and his thumb pretty much... Think of the placement of your thumb on your hand and where it is. Now, think of your thumb now pretty much closer to your wrist. That's how dislocated it was. It, it was weird. It, it it looked like almost a half a letter Y at how bad the dislocation was on the finger. So, you know, Rustam Kabilov ended up taking the fight via TKO in the first round. But it was, again, another freakish occurrence in, in, a, in a very, very anticipated fight. I was looking at seeing Yancey Madero's fight. A lot of people were talking about it. He had a lot of hype behind him and I was really looking forward to it. But like I said, the freakish ending, the the, the freakish fights were only just beginning on the pay-per-view side of things. Pat Healy and Jim Miller, who were pretty much the same guy. When you think about it, um, it was, it was crazy because Pat Healy, he, he had a long layoff coming over from strike force fighting a very, very competitive Jim Miller, who's from Jersey, had the home the home crowd behind him, and it was just an amazing, amazing fight. Uh, Pat Healy looked really, really good. Um, he definitely hit his stride in the second round, caught Jim Miller with a nasty rear naked choke. Uh, Jim Miller was not tapping. He ended up choking him out. Un- he ended up choking him unconscious. That's how crazy it was because Miller wasn't, he wasn't tapping at all. Another anticipated fight, Phil Davis, Vinny Magalesh was, um, it was it was crazy the, the the way this fight went because Vinny Magalesh known for his excellent jujitsu, Phil Davis known for his great wrestling, but this pretty much was a standing fight from start to finish. Phil Davis using excellent boxing and excellent and highly improved stand up to really take it to Vinny Magalesh. He ended up taking the fight via unanimous decision. And, you know, they went all three rounds. A lot of people were really pissed off. And I kind of was to a degree, but I also knew that Phil Davis wasn't trying to take that fight to the ground because of Vinny Magalesh's very, very, very good jujitsu. So 
I mean, it is what it is, but I was kind of let down for that fight, especially with all the trash talking that went on. But we got redemption courtesy of Czech Congo and big country Roy Nelson, who I'm a huge fan of. Um, You know, Czech Congo coming in, working, trying to work the stand up. He, um, Roy Nelson clinched with him against the fence using a little bit of the, uh, the Tim Sylvia style. When the ref broke him up, Congo circled left. Then he went to the right and the overhand right flattened him. It was ridiculous. It was, it was so disgusting the way that he just crumpled big country. Once again, he is not a pretty individual to look at. He is not, you know, a, a Greek God or, or chiseled out of granite. The guy is chiseled out of Burger King milkshakes and French fries. That's pretty much it. Roy Nelson, you can't, you can't teach that kind of power. That's just power that, that is in you. He crumpled Czech Congo. It was nasty. So, um, you know, what happens with Roy Nelson, we'll talk about later on, um, in the MMA segment, but beautiful, beautiful knockout from big country. I was, I was pumped. I actually got up out of my chair with that. I was like, Oh shit, he's dead. So it was, um, it was pretty cool. The, the way it, it pretty much was synonymous with, with something like this. You got knocked the fuck out, man. That's, that's pretty much what needed to be played the entire time because that's how bad that knockout was. Next up, another highly anticipated fight, Alan Belcher, Michael Bisping. Um, same thing, really, really solid stand-up from Bisping, but we get another fucking eye poke. But this one was really bad. Alan Belcher's eye just started bleeding, and he was coming back. From, you know, he's had a history of, of bad eye injuries. He had to get surgery for a detached retina. So, you know, everybody panicked immediately because he was bleeding out of his eye all over the place. I'm like... Holy shit, Michael Bisping popped this guy's eye. But turns out that wasn't the case. Um, he ended up just needing some stitches. But still, it was a, a very, very impressive performance by Michael Bisping, taking it uh, by technical decision since they had to call the fight. And, um, you know, it, it is what it is. I was I was bummed at the outcome, but Bisping's stand-up was on point. Belcher, I mean, he was eating a lot of shots and just shaking them off, but... He, he wasn't engaging and being as aggressive as I would have thought he was going to be in this fight. But it is what it is. Bisping moves on. Um, definitely good middleweight fights on the horizon for him, including a rumored fight with Kung Lee, which I would love to see. I think Kung Lee and Bisping would generate tremendous buzz, and it would be an awesome fight to see. And, of course, our main event of the evening, um, bell rings, Sonnen rushes forward. John Jones pretty much chael sonnen'd chael sonnen it was just like came took him down brutal disgusting ground and pound elbows from top position it was ridiculous just just academic elbows some knees to the body some more elbows and that was it very very quick decisive and brutal it was after the fight was over that we come to realize that john jones broke his fucking toe during the during that skirmish, you know, you see the gifs online of him breaking his toe. It is terrible because he broke it to the point where it's just like like a tear. It almost looked like his toe was about to get ripped off, which is it shows how aggressive he was just going in on the takedown. Because it's like, yo, you know, you break a toe on a kick or something like that to break it, you know, in the midst of of you know ground and pound or takedown is just ridiculous all its own. Um, you know, Chael Sonnen came out. He, he he was humble in his defeat, especially after hyping up the fight. But 
a, a case can be made for John Jones. He came out there. He used, you know, Chael Sonnen's, um his techniques against him in this fight. Super aggressive, looked really good. And, of course, this the, he ties Tito Ortiz's record now for title defenses. Uh, the next fight that he that John Jones would like is Alexander Gustafson, and then he said after that he'd like to start thinking of super fights, which clearly all money is on John Jones, Anderson Silva, and then possibly making the jump to heavyweight. Now, the crazy thing is, and people don't realize this, that had Chael Sonnen survived the round, John, and John Jones wouldn't have been able to come back for the second round, Chael Sonnen could have won the belt based on that of being of John Jones not being a... He was a broken toe away from winning the belt. That's how crazy this sport is. And, and you know, it, 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 Ben was going to call in today, and I'm sure Ben would have said, you know, you know, John Jones is John Jones. But still, you know, the, the beauty of it all is that Chael Sonnen made this fight worth watching. He really did. Had John Jones fought a Lyoto Machida or, or a Rashad Evans, not to say that there wasn't guaranteed hype in those fights but they just they just wouldn't have gotten they wouldn't have got people buzzing the way the way Chael and John Jones did and again Chael was gracious in defeat he acknowledged that John Jones you know one of the best fighters he's ever fought and it, it was just a classy move but what a what a crazy mauling and what a crazy night of fights I mean between eye pokes crazy referee stoppages John Jones breaking his fucking toe and nearly losing the belt that way it was it was a crazy crazy night. I gotta also give respect to John Jones for doing that post fight interview while his toe was being looked at with Joe Rogan. You know, once the once that adrenaline wore off, I'm sure his toe fucking hurt. But yeah, UFC 159, top to bottom, extremely enjoyable. Minus all the all the crazy flukes and all the the madness that happened, it was a very very enjoyable card. Now, in terms of fight bonuses, there were sixty five thousand dollar bonuses handed out. Knockout of the night, of course, went to Roy Nelson. Submission of the night went to Pat Healy. And fight of the night, <clears throat> excuse me, fight of the night honors, well-deserved, went to Jim Miller and Pat Healy as well. Now, as I mentioned shortly after the devastating knockout by good old big country Roy Nelson, MMA Junkie announced that Czech Congo was actually cut after that loss. His management team confirmed the news saying, you know, Czech Congo was released by the UFC. I mean, it's one of those things, and it was funny because Ben and I talked about it, and Ben was like, hey, he might he might have one more fight, but considering the war path that Dana White has been on in terms of trimming the roster, what what can you do? I mean, you know, at that point, it's just academic, and Czech Congo, he really got stopped in decisive fashion. So there you have it. Czech Congo gets released from the UFC. I'm sure he'll find a home in Bellator or... Um, in any of the other smaller organizations. And if he gets a couple of wins under his belt, you never know. They may have him back in the UFC before you know it. Now, besides the UFC and Invicta and Bellator, there's always great MMA coming from other promotions. And, and one of those is one FC that, you know, they do a lot of their, their shows um, across Asia. This particular one is going to be taking place in the Philippines. It's going to be May 31st, and it's going to air on iPay-Per-View. A lot of great fights on this card. Um, Bibiano Fernandez is going to be taking on um, Koetsu Ozaki. That's for the interim bantamweight title. You're also going to have the bantamweight Grand Prix final with um, Kevin Bellington, and he's going to be taking on uh, Masakatsu Oeda. Also fighting on that card, uh, Yasuhiro, um, Yasuhiro 
Wow, I'm fucking up this guy's name. Yasuhiro Urushitani. Christ. This is what I get for not learning all the Japanese names before I come on air. Anyway, you know, um, Urushitani, I've seen him fight. Usually on, on YouTube, I, I catch a lot of his fights. And he's always the subject of some sort of a of a hype video or something. And I really like watching that guy fight, so I'm going to try and tune in for that. Also, Kamal Shalarus is going to be fighting... Phil Baroni's going to be on that card, and I got to always root for the New York badass because Phil Baroni's just a cool fucking dude, and I, I follow him on Twitter, and he has a very interesting Twitter account. So got to throw support to my peeps from New York. So again, May 31st, I pay-per-view, and ton of great fights. Like I said, Bibiano Fernandez and um, Okazaki's going to be an awesome fight. Bibiano Fernandez kills me that, it's, that he's not in the UFC, but I'm sure he will be at some point, but it bugs me because there's so many great fights in the, there's so many great fighters in the UFC bantamweight division that he can have tremendous fights with, but I'm thinking maybe in another year or two, we may see um, Bibiano Fernandez in the UFC. We shall see what happens. So switching gears a little bit, two weeks ago, we were talking about Matt Mitrione being suspended by the UFC Um, due to his comments about transgender fighter Fallon Fox. So, of course, Matt Mitrione offered his mea culpa, his apology, the the whole big shebang, and um, he'll be fighting on a UFC card very soon. So, I want to share this apology with you guys because, again, certain things, it's very, very, very sensitive to discuss certain topics. Obviously, the whole transgender fighter debate is going to raise a lot of different opinions. Same thing with women in MMA, same thing with, 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 with gays in the military and all this stuff. It's always going to have some very, very polarizing results in the UFC's case. You know, Matt Mitrione, he just, he just didn't censor himself or catch himself when he said what he said, but he did, um, you know, he did apologize for it and he was fined an undisclosed amount, but It was a significant amount of money based on what was said. Anyway, he told MMA Junkie the following, you know, I want to apologize for my hurtful comments about Fallon Fox and a group within our society, which in truth, I know nothing about. I know now that there's an important line between expressing an opinion on a subject and being hurtful and insensitive. I crossed that line by expressing my views in an ugly, rude and inappropriate manner. If you guys remember, he had called Fallon Fox a lying sociopathic freak. So there you have it. Um, You know, he also added with regards to the apology, he said, I know there are a lot of people who look up to UFC athletes and I let them and myself down by setting a very poor example. I also want to apologize to Lorenzo Fertitta, Dana White, and everyone associated with the UFC. Anyone can say I'm sorry to get themselves out of trouble. That's not the kind of person I want to be. I'm embarrassed I chose to express myself in such a fashion and I'm looking forward to living up to this apology through my future actions, words, and conduct. So here's the funny thing. And I'm not I'm not dismissing Matt Mitrione's apology or saying it's disingenuous in any shape, way, or form because I don't know the guy. But you gotta take into consideration the following, which is you're taking something so so hot button right now, like transgender fighters, um, things of that nature. And you go on a show, not to say that, and I've said this before, you know, Ariel Helwani's good at doing his job and getting memorable sound bites. I'm sure after he said what he said, he probably just played back the audio and he was like, shit, I'm in trouble. 
And that's the thing. If if you're self-aware and you know you fucked up and you apologize for it, it's a little bit different than being punished and then kind of coming up with an apology. So I think it, it he falls into the 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 area of, wow, I messed up and now it's going to cost me. And that's what happened. I think the backlash from that has really opened not only the eyes of, of the UFC, but also the eyes of the fighters when they go and they do interviews, whether it's for for bigger outlets or smaller outlets, you really have to temper your words and be careful with what you say. And, you know, Ronda Rousey, she's said a couple of things about Fallon Fox, but the the thing about Ronda Rousey is that she does it in such a way that it doesn't really come off hurtful. And Fallon Fox considers herself a woman for all intents and purposes. And Ronda Rousey's a woman and, and the shit talking is from woman to woman. But in Mitrion's case, you know, to, to call Fallon Fox a sociopath and a freak it's it's a really really touchy subject especially when there's so many people out there um you know transgender individuals and that stuff is really becoming something that's that's the norm that it's not it's nothing that's taboo anymore and you have to really temper your language accordingly and when you're an organization like the UFC which is fighting hard to achieve legitimacy on a broad spectrum these are the kind of things that they just don't want to happen. It's the same thing with the NFL, same thing with the MLB. And I mean, a lot of people on Facebook, they were like, oh man, you know what the fuck Matt Mitrione said, what a lot of us felt, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And it's like, okay, I understand, you know, you, you have your opinions. They are what they are. But guess what? Matt Mitrione is paid to fight. He's not paid to express his opinion. And it's a terrible and it's a callous way for me to say it, but you're paid to do a job and, and you know, to use the... The, the the joke that everybody uses, you have one job. And if you fuck that up, that's that's tremendous. Matt Mitrione's job is to go out there with some four-ounce gloves and separate people from their consciousness. That's his job. It's not, it's not to discuss things like this because, again, not to say that these guys aren't media savvy, but they kind of shut off their filter. And that's not to say that Dana White isn't guilty of it because he is, and a lot of us are. I mean, there are times I'll come on air or... I'll be talking to somebody and I'll say stuff that that is incredibly crass or incredibly rude, but you also have to temper it based on your audience. You you guys know I've come on air and I've said some some crazy shit, whether it's considered racially insensitive or not or whatever it is. There's it. That's what happens that it's my platform, but I also police myself accordingly with regards to certain things I say. And there's certain things that I just can't say on air, regardless of the fact that I'm not you know, regulated by the FCC, there's just certain things there's no there's no room for. So, in Mitrione's case, I think a lesson has been learned, and for the organization itself, it just puts them in a more positive light because they tackled it right away, they addressed it right away, and they kind of didn't make it a bigger issue than what it was. Obviously, Yahoo and some of these outlets, they really tried to amp it up and make it bigger than what it was, but the guy misspoke, he fucked up, he apologized, they fined him, that's it. Anybody that makes this bigger than that, you're just you're just either searching for hits or or just trying to really make this a bigger scenario than what it is. There's there's worse things being said out there that aren't being filtered by the media. Just saying. So, post UFC 159, the landscape has changed once again courtesy of a lot of the outcomes that we had. Um <laughs> Slick says, I want Rich to publicly apologize for calling me a chicken-eating motherfucker. 
You know, it would be incredibly difficult to apologize for something that is true. <laughs> that would be incredible. That's like that's like apologizing for the sky being blue. You know, you eat chicken. It's like I, I eat goya beans. I'm brown, um, and unfortunately, I don't perpetuate any of the other Latino stereotypes. So I'm brown and I eat goya. That's it. <laughs> you eat chicken. It is what it is. <laughs> Slick just called me a bastard. I try. Anyway, so post UFC 159, like I said, a lot of things have changed. First up, of course, where Roy Nelson's win, it puts him in a little closer to title contention with Dana White saying that there's two fights that we can get with Roy Nelson. Either he could fight Mark Hunt if he gets past Junior Dos Santos, or he could fight Daniel Cormier. Of course, Roy Nelson being Roy Nelson, being awesome, he doesn't give a shit. He'll fight either guy. But I will say, even though Cormier and and Nelson will be a fun fight to watch, I'd like to see Roy Nelson and Mark Hunt because those guys got napalm in their fists. And it's not a question of technique or pretty. It's just going to be slugging it out till somebody's unconscious and possibly dead. So... I'd rather that fight and and Cormier, um, he gets one more fight and possibly a title shot because I I think Daniel Cormier may be the guy that can take it to John Jones or maybe even take the belt from him. So we shall see how that pans out. Now, with regards to Anderson Silva post UFC 159, Dana White said that Anderson called. He wants a fight after the, the Weidman fight once he's done with that and he wants to do the super fight. So... Odds are either Anderson's going to go up and fight John Jones for the big payday or Anderson's going to cut weight, drop to 170, and fight GSP. Either way, there's a lot of money to be made. But the stakes are very high with the Weidman fight because if Chris Weidman beats Anderson Silva, the super fight concept for all intents and purposes is dead. It's dead because Anderson Silva's the key attraction. Either he goes up or he goes down and fights either champion, and that's where the money is. That's not to say that GSP can't cut down to 155. I doubt it. But you never know. GSP may make the cut to 55 and fight Benson Henderson, or Benson Henderson may make the the jump to 170 and fight GSP in a super fight. Not to say that that's not a fight that'll make a lot of money, but I don't think that's the fight that, that you know, it's different with Anderson Silva considering... His, his placement in the sport, his legacy, etc. It's just a different ball of wax. So, I mean, as much as I like Chris Weidman, and, you know, he, he's from New York City, he represents, and he's, you know, he's dealt with some post-Sandy adversity. The, the, the fight fan in me needs to see the Anderson Silva either GSP fight or Anderson Silva John Jones. Simple as that. It's the fight that the fans want to see. It's the fight that'll make the most money, and it's the fight whose outcome will change the landscape of this sport forever. Because think about this. If Anderson Silva goes up to 205, fights, and defeats John Jones for the title, he will be champion at 205 and 185. Now, the case can be made, what if Anderson Silva decides to drop to 170 and and fight for that belt? It's real crazy because it's just a difference of a few pounds. It really is. that From 170 to 185, it's 15 pounds. Same thing from, you know, 85 to 205, you know, you, you got the, the 15 pound, the, it's, you know, it's a 20 pound difference. It's, it's crazy. So 
if, if Weidman plays the role of spoiler, the whole super fight concept is dead. So we shall see what happens because that fight is coming up very, very quickly. But before we even get to Anderson Silva and his title fight, we got the heavyweight title fight, UFC 160. That's going down May 25th. Of course, Cain Velasquez defending his heavyweight title against Antonio Bigfoot Silva. You got Junior Dos Santos taking on Mark Hunt. Glover Teixeira is going to be fighting on that card, taking on James Tahuna. Uh, TJ Grant and Gray Maynard and Donald Cerrone and KJ Nunes, which I really, really want to see. I may order the card just to see that. On the prelims, you got Mike Pyle, Rick Story, Dennis Bermudez taking on Max Holloway. Colton Smith is taking on Robert Whitaker. Uh, Khabib Nurmagomedov, hopefully I got that right, is taking on Abel Trujillo. On the Facebook side of things, you got Nashawn Burrell taking on Steven Thompson. Brian Bowles is taking on George Roop. And Estevan Payan is taking on Jeremy Little Heathen Stevens. So there you have it. UFC 160 is definitely a stacked card, and that's going down May 25th. Now, we talked about UFC 159, and we talked about all these different outcomes, but you're probably asking yourself, why hasn't Rich talked about Chael Sonnen? Well, Chael Sonnen did what Chael Sonnen does best, and that is go on UFC tonight and set up his next fight. <laughs> he when, when asked about him retiring, he says, I, I'll definitely be continuing at 205 pounds unless they come up with a catchweight. They have a couple, of, a couple of guys that do that. I know Rich Franklin has fought a catchweights a bunch, but I'm not going to drop but I'm not going to be in contendership anytime soon, and neither is Rich Franklin or a pool of those guys. So there's a little bit of room where we could meet in the middle. Now that I've dropped Rich's name, this is this wasn't my way of challenging Rich. I was just speaking to the point of, of the catchweight situation. I am going to stick around. Honestly, I think that if Chael Sonnen sticks around, he could continue fighting at 205, and who knows? If John Jones loses, maybe Chael Sonnen can get back in contention and fight another guy. The, the, the crazy thing is, People are online like, oh, Chael should retire, blah, blah, blah. Chael Sonnen lost to two of the most legendary fighters in the making that we've ever seen. Losing to Anderson Silva twice, first time obviously decisively, I mean second time decisively, but first time he took it to Anderson Silva for four and a half rounds pretty much. And he lost, you know, via the triangle. But still, four and a half rounds of him whooping Anderson Silva's ass. Now, questions can be, you know, statements can be made that Anderson Silva was injured, whatever the case may be. But the fact remains that when it came time to put fist to face in that first encounter, it was Chael Sonnen all day. Now, when it comes to Chael and John Jones, yeah, he got mauled in that fight. But again, who doesn't get mauled fighting John Jones? Vitor Belfort was the only guy that had John Jones in any kind of danger, any kind. So losing to two of the best fighters in the world is not a bad thing. Now, when asked about staying at light heavyweight, he said, I'd rather give up the size, but have a smile on my face, you know? So, you know, in that, in that case, I understand, you know, the weight cut is probably just not something that he's, he's a fan of, but it is what it is. Now, when asked about fighting Vanderlei, he said, I'm not leaving this sport. Whenever I get asked about retirement, I never say it, but I always think I'm not going anywhere until me and Vanderlei straighten this out once and for all. And not for nothing, the, the fight the, the fight fan in me needs this fight, needs the Vanderlei and Chael fight, needs to happen. There's legit beef there. 
There's legit animosity there. And above all else, the hype for that fight will be tremendous because Chael will turn it up to, to 1,000 as usual. And Vanderlei is just a, a violent human being that, that when he legit has beef with somebody, he comes in there ready to kill. So whatever the outcome of that fight, it needs to happen. A lot of people saying, you know, Chael's going to come in there and destroy Vanderlei. But still, those guys may come in and give us an awesome three-round war. Or if they use it for a UFC on Fox Sports and it, they use it for that card, who knows, maybe the main event will be a five-round war. But either way, I need to see that fight. There's too much beef there for you, for us as fight fans not to get that fight. So be on the lookout for that because all signs point to Vanderlei and Chael having a collision very, very soon. So last bit of news for this week. We've been talking about the UFC. We've talked about 1FC. We've talked about Invicta. And you're probably asking yourself what's going on with Bellator. Well, we all know Bellator finished their season and things have been a little quiet, but they won't be quiet for long. Bellator will be back June 19th to kick off their summer series um, with the first event taking place at the World Casino in Thackerville, Oklahoma. Not only that, but it's also going to be a, a stacked card with the return of War Machine, but it's also going to start the four-man light heavyweight tournament. Plus, we got a title fight, Michael Chandler defending his lightweight belt against Dave Jansen. King Mo is back in the cage taking on Seth Petrozelli. Jacob No will be taking on Renato Babalu Sabral. And, of course, Blas Avena will be taking on War Machine, formerly John Copenhaver. So definitely a stacked, stacked card for sure. And, of course, Bellator has not disappointed since switching over to Spike, and that will be going down June 19th. All right, so that wraps up this week's MMA news. It's that time, and you know what time it is. Booker? We want the gold, sucker! Hulk Hogan, we coming for you, nigga! So wrestling was very, very interesting this week. Of course, it was it was so weird that we got a buried from the future about it. And there's also another buried article I hear courtesy of John Blade that's that's in the laboratory as we speak. So it was it was a very, very crazy week for wrestling. Now, I will say this, and this is something that I've I've been noticing the last couple of weeks, and that's that. WWE and TNA, especially post-pay-per-view, they usually step their game up. But I think in the WWE's case, there's a lot of there's a lot of craziness and inner turmoil. And I say that because, you know, you have the whole fallout with The Rock, if you want to call it that, with the whole injury and them wanting to set up WrestleMania 30. Um, you have this crazy deep push of Antonio Cesaro, which I don't understand what the fuck happened. I mean... A lot of people are saying that it's because Vince doesn't find him to be boring. And, and, you know, that's that's all web speculation. But still, the deep push of Cesaro is very, very alarming. Um, the ascension of, of Fandango it has been 
it's it's been a very unique situation because you know here's this guy you're booking him as this heel, and the crowd is just pushing his gimmick into face territory, and that raises a couple of different uh, different red flags. And on the TNA side of things, you know they're going on the road, and we're just stuck in this aces and eights bullshit, which really just brings down the product as a whole because. It, it seems that the focus is solely there with such a talented X division, a tremendous women's division, and TNA just continues to spin their wheels. And it really is a toss-up every week between who had better programming. You know, WWE has Raw, SmackDown, Main Event, Saturday Morning Slam, and, you know, if you can find it on YouTube, you have NXT. TNA has TNA. That's it. And to think, you know, they're, they're, they're doing less television and we're getting better quality matches. Now, I think this is partially just the way that the, the roster's laid out and the writing for that week's episode. But I've been noticing that as of late, especially with Raw, you know, it, it, three hours of, of wrestling and, well, three hours of programming on Monday nights. And the, the fact is that maybe at most you get... 90 minutes of wrestling, maybe, and that's being generous. So think about that. You get then an additional 90 minutes of recaps, angles, and and other bullshit. And then you get possibly 90 minutes, maybe even less, of legit wrestling on a three-hour broadcast. On the TNA side of things, it's it's a bit more tempered because the, the interviews and the angles kind of... They're, they're running in tandem with the wrestling because you got crazy anonymous camera guy walking around asking questions and it, it all it all comes together in a more I want to say a more cohesive fashion versus raw on some weeks. Meanwhile on the SmackDown side with the with the beauty of being pre-taped, it feels a lot more fluid. The only problem on the SmackDown side is that they've pillaged so much of the talent that SmackDown some days you you can pretty much fast forward through most of it and still know the outcomes. But with, with some of the news I got this week, I think we're going to start seeing some changes, and some of them hopefully will be for the better. So let's get into Raw this week. Raw was uh, interesting, and I'll say it because of the following. The the opening match for the, for the evening was Big E Langston taking on Ricardo Rodriguez, taking on Zeb Coulter, and the winner, their, you know, quote-unquote, you know, they were – the person they were representing would get to pick the stipulation for Extreme Rules. Now, on paper, you would think, hey, Biggie Langston's going to win, blah, blah, blah. Turns out that wasn't the case. We pretty much had a typical, we're going to double team one guy, and then we're going to turn on each other formula for this match. And, of course, Biggie Langston being the heavy, quote-unquote, was... Exactly that. He was just going around, power moves here or there. Zeb Coulter was playing the cowardly heel. Ricardo Rodriguez showed shades of, you know, solid solid wrestling behind him. I mean, for, for what they're doing with his character, I know they don't let him go overboard with too much stuff, but he, he, looked, he looked pretty passable out there. He bumped really good. He made Biggie Langston look good, and he, he captured the victory just because... You know, he's, he snuck in and he got the pin on Zeb Coulter, which I'm sure is going to bother him because, you know, he represents Marika and he has this Mexican come and pin him in the middle of the ring and et cetera, et cetera. So obviously angle advancement out the wazoo in this match. But Biggie Langston definitely continues to impress 
and I know for a fact that it's it's really really a matter of time and I want to say within the next 90 days maybe less where we will start seeing Biggie Langston competing for a secondary title either US or IC because Slick and I were talking about this and sure as shit no sooner than him and I talk about it that it started happening which is that you really want these guys that, and individuals that are in factions to start capturing titles because that's really what tips the scales in a faction's favor, you know, the power of being champion. And that's something that, you know, it's important. Um, the big ending finisher for Big E Langston, Slick now calls the Mammary Masher. So there you have it. Whenever you see Biggie Langston deliver the big ending, he is delivering the Mammary Masher, courtesy of Slick. So there you have it, which um, our fans really, really enjoyed that reference on the Facebook fan page this past Monday. So just figured I'd throw that out there. One of the high points on Raw this week was the um, Make-A-Wish segment with John Cena. It was was really cool, and it was, um, you know, it was... It was what you'd expect WWE working with Make a Wish, and it, it, it was a as always a very uh, heartwarming gesture. It was cool to see. Um, having worked with Make a Wish before, I know that the the amount of effort WWE puts into that relationship is tremendous. And regardless whether Raw was shitty, not shitty, whatever it is, you know, it was a it was a class act as usual on their part with the Make a Wish children, and John Cena did a, a good job with that. So you know. Aside aside from that and the regular wrestling, I just wanted to acknowledge that because that was pretty fucking cool. Now, you know, Randy Orton and Cody Rhodes gave us a, a pretty decent match. Um, the crazy thing was, and a lot of people, it, it, they really had to watch it in slow-mo, was the ending of the match. You know, you had, um, you had a typical back-and-forth match, very, very competitive. I liked... Um, Cody's referencing of legacy in that match, which was pretty cool because that was the faction with Randy Orton, Cody Rhodes, and Ted DiBiase Jr., who we do not know where the fuck he is. But yeah, <laughs> that was the faction at the at that time. But very, very good match. Cody Rhodes continues to step his game up. Looked really comfortable out there with, you know, former champion Randy Orton. But Randy Orton, as usual, his offense is about as academic as you can get. And one of the things that was funny was that the final spot of the match was Cody Rhodes attempting the disaster kick and getting caught with the RKO. Now, if you've watched wrestling for a long time, you know that Cody Rhodes' disaster kick um, is a move that's very fast, very fluid, and Cody Rhodes maintains an upright position for doing that. Now, if you watch in that match when he got caught with the RKO, it was pretty much Cody Rhodes jumping to... with to simulate the disaster kick, but he pretty much dove head first into the RKO. And it was funny because the movement looked so awkward and so funny that I laughed for a good five minutes. Cause it was just like, all right, I'm ready. Here we go. Yeah. And he just jumped right into it. It was, it was so funny, but you know, it's, it's Randy Orton. What can you do now? The awkward thing from that match was the post fight Matt striker interview just because it just, Whenever Matt Stryker interviews a guy post-match, I usually expect Matt Stryker to get his ass whooped. That was not the case as Cody went for another Cody went to attack Randy Orton and ended up eating another RKO, but it was uh you know, 
that was that was just a, a a weird camera angle for that match, and it really didn't do Cody any favors. And like I said, the interview was awkward as fuck as well. Now, Nikki Bella took on Naomi in what I'd like to call the go and get some chips match because I, I'm sorry, the Bella Twins can get implants. Um, butt implants, whatever it is, but you know what? They really need fucking wrestling implants because their wrestling is shit. And it's a tragedy to put her in there with Naomi, who's a a solid wrestler. Everybody praises her wrestling and her athletic ability. And you got to go in there and pretty much carry these two walking Barbie dolls in a fucking match with their little, oh my God, twin magic, yuck, yuck. Get the fuck out of here. Match was shit. Complete shit. And then the funny thing is that, you know, they, um, the ref reverses the decision because Cameron complained, which was something I've never seen happen. And the ref, you know, he takes a second and he reverses the, the decision. And I'm like, all right, that's cool. But it's like, here's, here's, here's an observation. The Bella Twins pull off twin magic like it's nobody's business. It's their gimmick. It's what they do. But here's something that uh, that any ref can see when they switch. One of the Bella Twins has a tattoo over their box. Yes, they do. So if you look at their tights, you see the tattoo over said nether regions that kind of stick out over the trunks. One has them, one doesn't. Hello, if the one that comes to the ring has some sort of a vaginal tramp stamp sticking out of their shorts, clearly that's the one that was in the match. And then if you switch and the chick wins, oh, look, not the one with the tattoo. If you wanted to really get the whole twin magic thing over, you wouldn't leave something so obvious sticking out. Seriously, it's like, hey, your box label is showing. Does it say UPS or FedEx? The fuck out of here. Is that how the referee noticed? Because it was weird. Cameron complained, and then they reversed the decision. And it's like, did he look? Did he like? Did he say, oh, you know, hey, she has the tattoo there, or she has the tattoo on her on her lower stomach. Whatever the case is, it's it's obvious. Like that screams, hey, that's the way that you can check out if they switched or not. Now, you know, Slick said that the ref obviously would get in trouble for looking at her box, but I'm I'm not saying, you know, pull a Sherlock Holmes and put a magnifying glass over and be like, hey, you know, pull your shorts down a little, but it does stick out over the band of her of her ring gear so you can see it. If you wanted to avoid that, obviously get slightly higher shorts. That way, the switch would be, you know, academic. It would be academic and it would look right. Like, I... Again, I don't mind that their wrestling is shit because we talk about it every week. And like I said, I fast forward it or I go to the bathroom or I get food or whatever because I know it's going to be short, shitty, and to the point. But in this particular instance, it was like Cameron complained and then the ref reversed the decision and they really didn't elaborate on on what exactly made the referee reverse the decision. And I said to myself, maybe he finally noticed, hey, one has the tattoo and one doesn't. Who knows? But nobody bothered to elaborate on why the referee reversed his decision. Now, if it's going to be part of an angle, great. But if Raw comes up next Monday and they don't even acknowledge the shit, clearly it's just poor continuity on WWE's part. Anyway, our boys, The Shield, come down. That's why I I use their theme music this week. 
delivering a, a, a solid promo, clowning everybody from Ryback to The Rock to The Big Show, John Cena, etc. You know, nobody can stop the hounds of justice. I believe in the shield, but clearly the 3MB does not. Because they came out talking about that they want to fight the shield, blah, blah, blah. Pretty much murder, death, kill, courtesy of the shield on 3MB. Those three moody bitches caught an ass whooping. And then Kane and Daniel Bryan came out and killed them dead too. So there you have it. We got a champion versus champion match between Dolph Ziggler and Kofi Kingston. Um, The uh, funny thing is, uh, shout out to Josh Coleman from the T4 show joining us in the Mixler chat. Um, Champion versus champion Ziggler taking on Kofi Kingston. Uh, You know, pretty solid champion versus champion match. Um, You know, you got the Ziggler with the zigzag in that match. Uh, Biggie Langston, of course, getting uh, finding a way to make his presence felt. Now, here's the funny thing, and, and it's something that I read in, in the in a wrestling forum a few days ago, and it's about Kofi Kingston. We all know Kofi Kingston. He has his gimmick. He's from Ghana, West Africa now, no longer from um, no longer from Jamaica. So his finisher is called the Trouble in Paradise. That would imply Paradise being Jamaica or where he's from. So, you know, there were a lot of jokes. People were saying that he should change the name of his finisher to, you know, Trouble in a Third World Country, Trouble with Mosquitoes, you know, Trouble with, with, a, with, a, with, a, with a Continent by the Equator. Lots of jokes. And, and, you know, it was funny because thinking about it, a lot of these guys, and, and Triple H is another example. You know, he was the Blue Blood Hunter Hearst Helmsley. His finisher was the pedigree, always was the pedigree. He became, you know, leather jacket wearing badass Triple H, et cetera, et cetera. And still his finisher was called the pedigree. So it's just weird to me that people would actually cite that, you know, and there were a lot of guys just cracking those jokes. And it's funny because it's like you would think that you'd want to change your finisher, but it's really a non-factor. I just found it amusing that people say, um, you know, people say that, oh, you know, Kofi should change his finisher because he's really not from Jamaica. It was just one of the most great, one of the most mundane and strange debates that I've seen on the web this week. But what can you do? It's it's the web. This is what happens. But clearly, you know, Kofi Kingston, the Ziggler match was obviously to set up a possible feud with Biggie Langston. But Kofi had a match with Cesaro on main event. So there's always that as well. Either way, we're going to get one of those matches at Extreme Rules. Either Kofi and Cesaro or Kofi and Biggie Langston. We'll see what happens on Raw this Monday, this coming Monday, if Biggie Langston does anything to Kofi to kind of move that along. Meanwhile, we get a uh, new Caitlin Angle with a little uh, secret admirer scenario, which we all know these secret admirer scenarios either pan out with Hornswoggle or some bullshit, you know. You got to go back to the to the atti- to the semi attitude error where you know you you had Mickey James be Trish Stratus's admirer, a little girl on girl. You know, we we all remember that from from the attitude era, little uh, HLA, all that bullshit. I remember that. It, it, you know, not to say that they should go that route, but to tease a secret admirer and not have it be a big payoff is just stupid. If if her secret admirer is fucking hornswoggle, I'm I'm done. I'm done because it's it's 
you see that shit a mile away unless you're gonna do something where maybe you put her with uh with with um somebody coming up to the roster or maybe you're gonna pair her with a with a superstar currently on the roster that needs a little bit of a of an extra hand to help him or her out who knows but seriously i I have little faith when it comes to the you know admirer angles I just don't have it so Jack Swagger takes on long-haired Zack Ryder this week, and it, was, it wasn't it was a bad match because we all knew it was going to be a squash, but Ryder, Ryder didn't completely get jobbed out. He did. He did get an ass-whooping, but he looked, he looked better. He got some decent offense in. I'm thinking I have a nagging suspicion that he's going to grow his hair out and they're going to put him back with Kurt Hawkins. I'd like to think that, but who knows? I think that would be the better course of action for Zack Ryder right now kind of keeps him in the spotlight but not directly by putting him in a tag team but take it for what it's worth I think he he, he didn't get jobbed out in the typical three second match fashion so we shall see what happens with Zack Ryder in the coming weeks so Mark Henry comes out and we get a tug of war I kid you not we get a tug of war with him and Fuck this. Three hours of programming and we get a tug of war with sweaty ass Mark Henry, Sweet T, Brodus Clay, and you knew it was going to end with fucking Seamus, which it did. That, it was, Fuck that. Fuck that whole segment. Fuck it right in its ass. Anyway. Alberto Del Rio and Antonio Cesaro was a tremendous match. Again, I don't know who Cesaro pissed off, but he he goes out there and he has awesome, awesome matches with everybody. And him and Del Rio put up a a tremendous match um, from start to finish. You know, it was cool, uh, the transition for the cross-arm breaker, the way it worked out. Um, Cesaro tapped, but super, super competitive. And, of course, right after that, Del Rio announced that the world title will be defended in a triple threat Ladder match. So, if if it wasn't bad enough that we had the good old-fashioned tug-of-war, the, 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 the guy who everybody loves... had himself a dance-off with the great Kali. I kid you not. The great Kali and Fandango had a dance-off. This is what three hours of television gets you. A tug-of-war and a dance-off. But the worst part was that you know, Fandango's out there with Summer Rae, who, who came up from NXT. She's probably going to be his permanent dance partner, and I think he dates her for real. Who knows? But anyway, Summer Rae and Fandango, they go out there, they dance, whatever. Kali just, you know, stumbling around with his with his knees held together with fucking Elmer's glue, with poor Natalia who has to carry this big oaf around pretty much. It's like, yo, why doesn't she just piggyback ride the great Kali to the ring? 
The guy needs a fucking Segway. They should have just put the Great Kali on a Segway and made him dance like that. It would have looked like those robots that you see in those mall kiosks that have the wheels and they only dance in one direction. Just a Great Kali on a giant Segway dancing around would have been more enjoyable than the clusterfuck that we saw. It was complete shit. Really was. It was shit. Not to mention that Fandango had to try and get his finisher on Kali. And it just, it just, it looks so awkward because he's just a big, giant oaf. He really is a giant oaf. That, and, and you know, it's fucked up because he's, he's, he, he has an upside. And that's, he could be a bodyguard or something like that. Like, he should just be a bodyguard that stands silently behind a, a smaller guy and just comes out and, like, chops you in the head or, Maybe he's, like, the security for, like, a GM or some shit. But get him the fuck out of the ring. Get him out. Get him the fuck out. And and Natalia, who, a graduate of the Heart Dungeon, an accomplished technical wrestler, plays second banana to, to Darby O'Gill and the little people fucking hornswoggle and giant lumbering oaf Great Kali. Meanwhile, we gotta watch the Bellas stink up the fucking ring Every week with their shit. We get it. They're twins. We get it. They don't like the black chicks. We understand. We got it. We understand that Daniel Bryan and John Cena tag team the Bella twins while high-fiving each other. We get it. Seriously. We get it. And, and, And instead, this is what we get. A tug of war and a dance off. I don't understand how Jerry Lawler can stand there with a straight face and even judge that shit. Worst off, the crowd clearly was split. It wasn't like they would like they unanimously voted for Kali to win, but we all know that the setup was for Fandango to, you know, pretty much whoop the great Kali's ass. And before we forget, it's not Fandango, it is Fandango. Got to get it out there before somebody complains that I mispronounced his name. And I kid, of course. But anyway, seriously, three hours of television and we get tug of rope, uh, tug of war, excuse me, and a uh, and a dance contest. Are we watching wrestling or are we watching summer camp? It's 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 terrible. It is complete terror. And the 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 apropos thing to do at this point would be to cue Homer screaming, but I just feel that we are even beyond Homer screaming at this point. We are. So, to close out Raw for this week, John Cena, Team Hell No, taking on the Shield in a in a, in a solid, solid match. I will say that stripping away the angles, we had some, some decent wrestling. Orton and Cody was good. We had Ziggler and Kofi was pretty good. Let's not even talk about uh, Swagger and Ryder or the opening match. Del Rio and Cesaro was good. We had three good matches. Hell No and The Shield capped it off with a a solid night. The Shield looked really good. Um, Nice way to to use John Cena's existing injury a little better to close things out. It was a good way to do it. I said to myself when he went to pick up um, Rollins for um, for the attitude adjustment, I said to myself, please don't fucking hit it. 
So it was good the way that they did it, his ankle giving out and then eating the spear by Roman Reigns. Um, raises a lot of questions. The Shield just pinned the WWE champion. That's all I'm saying. And, and, and that raises a very interesting set of circumstances because you beat the tag team champions and the WWE champion, basically. Any way you slice it. And, you know, we always look at, oh, you know, the guy beats the champion. He makes a strong case for challenging for the belt. They always use that storytelling. Where they go from here, who knows? I mean, I've read what happens with SmackDown. I'm not going to spoil it because I know some people actually want to watch it without reading spoilers. But the Shield, the Shield definitely are getting a lot of, you know, they're, they're getting the quote-unquote proverbial rub because we had the great match with The Undertaker and, and Team Hell No last week. We had the singles match with Undertaker and Ambrose, which was ridiculous. It was tremendous, and it was entertaining from start to finish. And it goes to show you how much faith they have in Ambrose as the breakout guy by putting in a match with The Undertaker. Because let's be real, The Undertaker doesn't just go in the ring and wrestle anybody. He goes, he gets his WrestleMania payday, maybe one other pay-per-view here or there. But on free TV, he's not doing it. It's like... Lightning, smoke, roll my eyes back, and go home and 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 play hide my dead corpse with Michelle McCool. Seriously, that's what he does. But to go out there and put on such a great match with Ambrose and a, a solid match with the Shield, and you know, in the tag team match was tremendous, and it really makes a strong case for the Shield. And I got some news regarding them that I'm going to share later on in the segment. But Raw this week, you know, four four solid matches. It was just the angles in between that were horse shit and really brought it down quite a few notches. So switching gears going into TNA, which I actually managed to watch in its entirety before we went on air this week. Had a lot of great matches. Um Chris Sabin is back in the X Division. A tremendous, tremendous competitor. I mean I've always been bummed that Alex Shelley left and we couldn't get another Motor City Machine Guns tag team run. But Chris Saban is a staple in the X Division, an excellent competitor. And considering the guys that he's got in that division with him, there's it's just it's just leading to some phenomenal matches. The match this week was him, Zima Ion, and Sanjay Dutt. Obviously, the winner would get a number one contender spot to face um, Kenny King. Chris Saban wins, you know, that was going to happen, but it was an awesome match from start to finish. Um, somebody, somebody was laughing and they were breaking my balls because they said that um, Mike Tanay announced that suicide has been voted in as the other X division title contender. So there you have it. The return of suicide, just saying who will be putting on the mask of one of my, uh, one of my favorite masked wrestlers. And it's funny because Suicide obviously came out of the TNA game, but Suicide's run in the X Division as a competitor was good because he was being played by Kazarian, Christopher Daniels. There are a couple different guys under the mask, and not for nothing, it was such a great gimmick because you you can have a lot of fun with who's in the in the costume, but the the character itself was just awesome to watch. The music was good. Coming in on the zip line was really awesome. I liked all that shit. And then they just shelved the character. I think Suicide is is a guy that you can make your your TNA equivalent to a Sin Cara or a Rey Mysterio. 
more so a Sin Cara, just being, you know, the mysterious character who nobody knows who he is, but goes out there and has awesome matches. I think, well, you know, not that Sin Cara is that guy anymore, but you get the idea. So there you have it. Chris Saban comes back, gets himself a number one contendership slot in an awesome, awesome match. We get some Bully Ray aces and eights. You know, typical bullshit with fucking D'Lo and Wes Briscoe and Garrett Bischoff garbage. Uh, we get Rob Terry taking on Robbie E., Joey Ryan, and Jesse Goddard in a handicap match. Of course, this is all stemming from the feud that Robbie E. has with Rob Terry, but it's also a way to just bury three guys, which kind of kind of bums me out. I think that Goddard and Robbie E. would make a solid tag team, and Joey Ryan would be a tremendous asset to the X Division, but you're jobbing him out to Rob Terry, who is juiced to the fucking gills, and... Not to say that his wrestling is shit, but you're you're giving him the the default big guy push. Seriously, I mean, it was a cool little comedy match, made Rob Terry look good, but it was filler. And like I said, they really it really hinders talented guys like Joey Ryan. I mean, even Robbie E is 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 fairly entertaining. Jesse Goddard's eh, I haven't really established what I feel about him yet because I haven't gotten this I haven't had the opportunity to see enough matches to get something out of it. You know, it was just like, yeah, he comes out, he's in the occasional squash or he's in a match with Tara. Oh, typical shit. Kurt Angle took on D'Lo Brown in an I quit match. That is hard hitting main event caliber wrestling folks. When we get D'Lo Brown and Kurt Angle, it, it was, it wasn't a complete shit show. It really wasn't. Um, Kurt Angle just delivering multiple German suplexes. I, I believe he hit five on D'Lo was, was quite impressive. Kurt Angle can still go, even though I'm sure his body is held together with Elmer's glue and, you know, putty and Play-Doh and all this shit because he really is like the walking wounded every week. But he looked really good out there against D'Lo, and I'm shocked that D'Lo Brown actually gave us a decent match. I mean, considering how non I don't even want to say he's out of ring shape it's just he hasn't performed in god knows how long so I expected a complete shit show it was like I said it was decent it really was decent um Coleman in the in the chat says that Joey Ryan is the best mic guy TNA has I think Joey Ryan definitely is up there in terms of promo work I think Bully Ray has stepped it up as probably one of the better promo guys but the best promo guy going right now in TNA is Christopher Daniels. He makes Frankie Kazarian look good in their promos, and Christopher Daniels just loving life. You can tell he's just enjoying his gimmick, his character. It just it just works. It really, really works. Right after the I Quit match, we get an, uh, some angle advancement. Kurt Angle calling out AJ Styles, who's coming out, you know, with uh, his whole dark persona, which who knows where it's going to go. I'm thinking Sting style with him not pledging allegiance to TNA or Aces and Eights and then just being in TNA's corner because he's a TNA original. That's where I see it going, but I do have to say um, that AJ Styles, with his new character, the new moveset that he uses in his wrestling, phenomenal. No pun intended. Colm, you are right. In terms of new guys that have that have come onto the TNA roster, definitely Joey Ryan is up there in terms of, of excellent mic work, for sure. So, Matt Morgan and his big angry beard walk around bitching 
about wanting a title shot and blah, blah, blah. Typical Matt Morgan shit. Matt Morgan is a ton of hype, a ton of substance, and in his in the ring, he just he just doesn't impress. And I'm not saying that because he's a shitty wrestler. He's not. It's just that I feel he's missing something. It's like you can have the big monster tattoo on your back and the and the lumberjack beard, but unless you got a Paul Bunyan gimmick or some shit, nobody gives a fuck about you. Get your big ass off my screen. I think the best time that you, the best point in TNA where you were remotely entertaining was when you were feuding with Crimson and Hernandez. That was it. Other than that, you were in a tag team with Joey Ryan that they conveniently broke up for no apparent reason and you stole Hulk Hogan's fucking cape. That's it. Other than that, you're bullshit. There you go. Holmes said he loves Matt Morgan, but he can't stay healthy and has no good moveset. Yes, it's the moveset that kills him. It's like, here's my carbon footprint, big boot, which when I'm wearing street clothes, I deliver it with a pair of lugs boots that look like Herman Munster shoes. Yeah, I want to take you seriously when you shop from the affliction and lugs catalog. Fuck out of here. Out of here with that shit. Somebody give him a manager. Get get James Mitchell on the phone. Get, make James Mitchell his mouthpiece. At least that would help a little bit. Do something. But don't let him come out there and just stink up the joint with his fucking shitty promos. So, we got a uh, tag match with Taryn Terrell, Mickey James, Gail Kim, and Tara, a.k.a. three workers and one chick that's there for eye candy. Um, definitely a good knockouts tag team match. Taryn Terrell is, Im- is improving. She is improving. Don't get me wrong. She is. She is eye candy, but she is improving. ODB continues to be misused as the fucking knockouts ref. Um, I am getting tired of Taryn Terrell's whole winning with the roll-up scenario that she's doing. Tired of that shit. It's like typical, oh, we're going to book this rookie that way. It's like, yo, give her a fucking finisher. Something. Anything. Don't let her finisher be the roll-up for the foreseeable future. You know, it's, it's just... But, but... I will say this, that tag team match leaps and bounds better than the Bella uh, Funkadactyl match. Leaps and bounds better. That's all I'm saying. I do have to say that the um, the, post, uh, beat, the post-match beat down by Gail Kim, really, really good. And also, I like the uh, ring post figure four from Gail Kim. Not often that you see the ladies pull out a move like that, you know, something nice and vicious. Um, <laughs> Cole is on fire tonight. The roll up being Bo Dallas's finisher. Yes. Yes, it is. Um, Gail Kim, always a, a, a great addition to any women's roster, even though she's a bit of a head case. Uh, the figure four on the ring post was a nice, nice touch to really get that over. Very, very cool. Aces and eights, you know, Bitching about D'Lo, blah, 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 formulaic. Anyway, our main event match was Sting and Matt Morgan in a number one contenders match. How do you think that's going to end? Matt Morgan as a number one contender? Not happening. Old ass Sting, your number one contender against Bully Ray? Yeah. What a fucking snooze fest that's going to be. What's going to happen next month? Is Hogan going to... Put his surgically repaired hip on the line with the belt. Seriously. I mean, I like Sting. He's good to put guys over. But 
again, it's becoming the centerpiece of, of the old guys. It's like, you mean to tell me that you have an entire roster and you can't have a guy that can challenge Bully Ray for the belt? A Cowboy James Storm? Maybe? A, a Robert Rude? Possibly? How about a Christopher Daniels? It's... it's, it's so Cole Mass, what is Aces and Eights? I don't see what they're what they're going to they're going to do with it. Aces and Eights is just a ripoff of Sons of Anarchy with a with with mixture with with little sprinkles of the NWO, and it's just it really has run its course. And I'll tell you why it's run its course. It's not so much because they're on TV every week. It's because all the guys that are part of that roster are either jobbers, baggage handlers. WWE castoffs or just fucking guys who have nothing else going on. You mean you mean to tell me that I'm supposed to take a faction seriously that has D'Lo, Mike Knox, Festus, Eric Bischoff's uh, you know accidental sperm drip, Wes Briscoe, who's probably the only talented dude there, and the Dudley Boys seriously? And a very underutilized and misused Mr. Anderson? Come on. Garrett Bischoff is the load that that wasn't spit out. Get out of here. Fucking terrible. Terrible piece of shit he is. Fucking nothing is more of an ego stroke than Garrett Bischoff being a focal point of anything. He is shit. Not, and I don't even say because he's Eric Bischoff's son. He just sucks. Sucks completely. I'd rather I'd rather see David Flair on my fucking television than him. And pairing him with Wes Briscoe, it's like kryptonite. It really is kryptonite. It's like Bizarro and Lex Luthor in a tag team. You got the one fucking dildo, the one dolt, the one worthless piece of shit, Garrett Bischoff. Then you got Wes Briscoe who comes from, you know, Briscoe Brothers, he's a, a talented wrestler. He's got a cool look to him. I think that if you turn him face down the road, he'll be a, a major player. And this is what you do. You put him in this in this, this this motorcycle band of jobbers. That's what it is. A motorcycle job squad. It's embarrassing. The only good thing out of it that made that redeemed it somewhat was making Bully Ray the president. Because if they would have unveiled that, you know, Je- Jeff Jarrett or Hulk Hogan or Eric Bischoff were the president of Aces and Eights, I would have stopped watching TNA at that point. We all knew it was going to be Bully Ray in our heart of hearts, and he's the only reason why this angle still has any sort of strength behind it. Devon is okay. Mike Knox is shit. I haven't even seen him legit wrestle. Don't even tell me about fucking D'Lo. And then you bring in Festus. Not to say that Festus is a shitty wrestler because he's a decent big man. You know, he was good when he was with CM Punk as Luke Gallows. But seriously, other than his work with CM Punk, what the fuck else has he done of worth? Nothing. And you put him you put him in aces and eights to carry around, you know, Bully Ray's bags and shit. It, it just doesn't work. Now, in terms of wrestling this week, I, I honestly want to say that WWE's four solid matches edged out W uh, edged out TNA this week. Saban the Saban the uh, X division match was good. The handicap match was bullshit. 
The Kurt Angle and D'Lo match was good, so that's two. The Knockouts match was good, that's three. The Sting and Matt Morgan, that was just a fucking ego stroke. That's what that was. I understand that, that TNA and Spike TV are giving Sting a fuckload of money. But keep him away from the belt, please. Please. I- I'll take anybody else challenging for that belt. Anybody else. Austin Aries, Robert Roode, Cowboy James Storm, AJ, Christopher Daniels. I'll buy any one of those guys challenging for the belt. Fuck, I'll take even Matt Morgan, even if he gets his ass kicked. But at least it's somebody that's not Sting or Hogan or any other WWE cast-off that they bring in. What What's going to happen? JTG is going to get released and he's going to be challenging for the belt next month? Is that is that where is that where this is going? Seriously. Cuz that's what's happening. You get these old timers or these castoffs and you reward them with title shots and then the guys who have slummed and busted their ass for your company, you you just have them do tag team matches and X division shit. Doesn't make any sense. Stupid. So yeah, as much as it pains me to say it, WWE's uh Monday Night Raw had better wrestling then impact this week. So let's get into the other wrestling news. The, um, if you watch raw and the abysmal abortion, that was the divas tag team match. You will know that they announced a diva reality show debuting on E of course, it's going to feature the Bella twins. Cause why wouldn't it? I think you could do a Tampax tampon commercial on WWE programming. And it would probably, it would probably have the Bellas in it too. I like to use tampons and I switch them with my sister. We call it twin magic. So should you <laughs> like, that's the kind of shit I expect from these, from these broads. I'm tired of them. So anyway, we get them. We get the Funkadactyls, Natalia, and these two new divas, um, Ava Marie and Jojo Offerman. And it's going to be on E, which means three things are going to happen. Ryan Seacrest is going to show up. Joe McHale is going to make fun of it. And somehow, some way, uh, the Kardashians' soulless mother will end up there. Honestly, you should make her soulless as the GM of Raw, because she really is the Antichrist. The Kardashians' mother is probably she. She probably has the devil's number on speed dial, so that she can sell the soul of another kid. She soul, you know, she's like Kim's baby is due soon. I figure if I give you his soul, you'll give me everlasting youth. Because, you know, you need the Kimye, baby. It's it, it it's foretold in the prophecy. It's told in the fucking, in the Necronomicon that she keeps under her fucking bed. Seriously, you have e-programming with divas. Joe McHale's making fun of this shit immediately. And it, of course, also casts doubt on the future of the WWE Network. But, you know what? It's on E. I don't really watch it. I don't really care. Guys are going to tune in to see Eye Candy. Hopefully they'll see a, 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 a Bella Twin Funkadactyl locker room towel match. Not happening. But um, yeah, that's what you're getting on E. That and Ryan Seacrest. Anyway, so I wanted to talk about USA Today's article on The Rock last week that I read. I actually found the USA Today in the lunchroom in my office building. So shout out to Crackers Deli. <laughs> on Stewart Avenue in Garden City. Anyway, they had a USA Today on the table, and The Rock was in there. 
and they were asking him about bulking up for pain and gain. So, in in this particular role, we know The Rock was ginormous. He added 15 pounds of muscle to weigh over 250 pounds. According to him, this was the diet. This was the diet he utilized to get this heavy. He ate seven meals a day, and he worked out for 16 weeks to prepare. He was kind enough to share his meal plan, which I'm going to share with you guys, and then I will share my thoughts. So his first meal of the day was a 10-ounce beef filet with two cups of oatmeal and a two-egg omelet. His second meal was 8 ounces of cod, 12 ounces of sweet potatoes, and 1 cup of steamed vegetables, onions, peppers, and mushrooms. His third meal was 8 ounces of chicken, 2 cups of white rice, and 1 cup of vegetables. His fourth meal was 8 more ounces of cod, rice, veggies. Fifth meal, steak, 12 ounces of baked potato fries, and a salad. Meal six was 10 ounces of cod, rice, and another salad. And meal seven was a 30-gram casein protein powder shake, casein being a slow-digesting protein. That's the gym rat in me talking. A 10-egg white omelet, one cup of vegetables, and a tablespoon of omega-3 fish oil. He said the following, There's a right way and a wrong way to bulk up for a film. The wrong way is to eat as much garbage as you can for weeks on end, which actors have the tendency of doing. It's unhealthy and puts an incredible amount of stress on your body, joints, tendons, and digestive system. The right way to bulk up is with good complex carbs, protein, and fat sources. When asked about steroids, The Rock said he didn't use them. And he asked Mark Wahlberg if he did. Wahlberg replied, what? Steroids? No, I don't mess with those. So The Rock said, and he did admit to taking steroids while playing football at the University of Miami. Okay. Let's talk a little bit about biology for a second, and let's talk about dieting and weightlifting real quick. Because, look, we've all seen how Chris Hemsworth went from looking like Chris Hemsworth to looking like Thor to looking like a race car driver to looking back like Thor. We've seen the same thing with Chris Evans in Captain America, looking from like regular Chris Evans that does all these lame-o fucking movies to superhero Captain America Steve Rogers. Now... I want to I want to go into a couple of things. Number 1, if you are a celebrity and you get paid a fuckload of money and you are paid to look a certain way, you will achieve it. Will you achieve it naturally remains to be seen. And I'll tell you why. Because when you're a celebrity and you have that much to look forward to, you're going to need some help. Sure you have a personal trainer and a chef and a dietitian, but it's 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 you have help. You do. I don't give a fuck who it is, but you have help. Brad Pitt in Fight Club, shredded to the max, zero ounces of body fat. There had to be some clenbuterol used. Had to be. Had to be some clen. Had to. It's, it's just inhumanly shredded. It's impossible. I know dudes, new, hardcore dudes that go out there and they train hard. And it's like, look at MMA fighters. And look at how they diet down and how lean they look. Look at guys like... Alistair Overeem and uh, Cain Velasquez. Great examples. Cain Velasquez, a heavyweight wrestler, cuts down. Look at his body type and look at an Alistair Overeem's body type. Obviously, substantially different. Now, Alistair Overeem, you can make a case to why his body looks that way or not. But again, 
there's there's different ways of doing it. Eating seven meals a day, I've been in that situation. I've been in the situation where I was eating five or six meals a day normally. Heaviest I think I got was 245 pounds. Dieted down, I was pretty decently lean. Was I was I shredded like the rock? No. Is it possible to get like that? Yes. Can you eat a Big Mac once a week and stay like that? No. Same thing with John Cena. See, John Cena, Biggie Langston, Sheamus, Ryback, Batista, and The Rock. Let's all look at those guys carefully. Look at Biggie Langston. Biggie Langston was a power lifter, and you can look at his physique and you see that he's a power lifter. He's 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 kind of lean, he's a little cut, but he's just big. He's a massive human being. Same thing with um you know, Mark Henry. Captain Quark is laughing, asking about me being lean. I never said I was fucking shredded, dude. I'm I'm built to pick up refrigerators and washing machines. I'm not built to look like an Abercrombie and Fitch model. The closest I've ever gotten to seeing an ab was maybe a one pack at best. I don't train to look pretty. I don't lift weights to look pretty. I lift weights for fucking strength and to be functional. Motherfuckers that lift weights to look pretty probably can't pick up a refrigerator, can't lift up a desk, can't pick up a couch. That's all I'm saying. I can fucking pick up a couch like Rosie from the Jetsons and vacuum in my house. Functional strength. A, a, a personal a personal item I'll share with you guys. When my mom was sick, she um she couldn't get out of bed. So she had to take a bath. She had to do all this stuff. Pick her up out of bed. Carry her to the, to the bathroom. Carry her back. Didn't need a wheelchair. And I'm not even saying that because I want to make myself seem like, like I was touched by an angel or any kind of holy shit. But the fact is that you train for what you do. You know? <laughs> ah, Strider. Rich had a 40 ounce. <laughs> Let me tell you. I Like I said, I've seen maybe abs once. And like I said, maybe a one pack. Not, not what I was looking, not what I was looking for. Even now I wear, you know, I'm a, I'm a 38 waist and I wear a size 52 jacket. Not super skinny, not ginormous, not out of shape. So make of it what you will. But what I'm saying is you look at all these different athletes and the way that they're built, you can see who's kind of using help and who's not biggie Langston. I don't think he's on shit. I think he's on, you know, Grits, sweet potatoes, and regular food, and heavy-ass weights. Even Ezekiel Jackson, you look at Ezekiel Jackson, he's shredded, but he's not super vascular. Then you look at, like, Scott Steiner. Scott Steiner's got enough chemicals going through him that he's a fucking, he's a lab experiment. Yeah, big gulp, Strider, you could say that. (laughs) Big gulp, fucking asshole. Um, but yeah, you know, you look at those guys, Scott Steiner, chemistry experiment, Ryback, don't even have him piss in a cup because it'll probably melt. John Cena, always questionable. And I'll tell you why, because John Cena's body type, I know regular dudes that look close to that because they lift heavy, they eat semi clean, but they're either guys that are constantly in the gym or guys that work outside. I know a couple of guys, they do construction, they go to the gym, monstrous human beings, giant motherfuckers. 
You ask them what they have for lunch, they go to Cherry Valley Deli, they get what's called the Godfather, which is a balsamic, uh, balsamic vinegar, breaded chicken, mozzarella cheese, and um, a little bit of mayo on regular white bread. And these dudes carved out of fucking granite. What do they do? They work for the city. They lay pipe. They break concrete. That's what they do. You can look that way. I'm never saying that it's not. But to really go out there and be like, nah, man, I eat seven meals a day and there's a clean way to do it. And Hollywood does it wrong. All you motherfuckers got personal chefs. Fuck you. You get paid to look that good. Regular Joe Blow. Actually, you know what? I'm going to ask Strider. Strider, who's in the in the, in the the blog talk radio chat. Strider, who's been a longtime listener, um, serves our country in the armed forces. And as such... He has to go and he has to be has have a certain level of physical fitness. So I'm going to ask him, are there dudes in the armed forces that are completely jacked to the gills looking like a, a Ryback or a John Cena or looking like a regular big dude? And I'll see. I'll see what he asks, because it's true. It's like. If training in the armed forces, you're in the gym, you're constantly running, you're constantly in, in, in fitness mode. There's a certain look. You're not going to look like the rock in pain and gain. It's not happening. It's not. But the reason I went into this is because, you know, they ask, hey, man, did you juice? No. The, the right question is, did you juice recently? <laughs> no, but you did. That's how it's got to be. He said he juiced when he took when he when he was in the in the University of Miami. You juiced when you were in the WWE because you had to get o- an operation for gyno because you had you know bitch tits. The Rock had titties because of the overabundance of testosterone, which becomes estrogen, which is a side effect from juicing. You were juicing when you were wrestling when you were wrestling with a T-shirt for like a month and a half. Fuck out of here. Bullshit. It's complete bullshit. Don't, don't, don't bullshit us. You know, nobody cares. I'm not saying, hey, you should go and, and say an interview and say, yo, I did DECA and D-Ball and all this shit. Don't, nobody's asking that, but don't, don't bullshit nobody either. Seriously, don't. It just looks foolish. And besides the fact you got a hernia and you tore an ab in that match. How many times does Daniel Bryan tear an ab, you know, or, or a Chris Jericho or a CM Punk or a Christian, you know, it's, it's, it's serious. It, it really is serious that that's the kind of shit that goes down. I'm just saying, you know, I don't, I don't like these guys that do these interviews and I understand, you know, you can't say, Hey, I juiced. For whatever reason, but don't lie either. Like if they go, "Hey man, did you use steroids?" Uh, no, but you know, I used I used proper supplementation. Don't don't lie and say it's just seven meals, dude. Come on, you got a dietitian, couple of hours in the gym, maybe some cardio, maybe. Come on, stop, stop it. Anyway. Switching gears from talking about steroids and juicing and, you know, whether I can pick up small vehicles or not. Let's <laughs> let, let's talk about some other wrestling news, which is uh, NXT actually 
coming to television here in the U.S. It seems that they're going to utilize NXT like they did with ECW on Sci-Fi, which would be to introduce new talent to television before their move to Raw or SmackDown. This the the reasoning for this is twofold. Number one, obviously to show off the new talent. Number two, WWE for one hour of programming generates a hundred thousand dollars in TV rights. So bring up NXT, give us some good wrestling, introduce some new some new roster mates, and get a hundred thousand dollars. Seems like a solid plan. <laughs> Colm says that he wants steroids in baseball because he misses monster homers. Dude, let me tell you. Baseball juicing is going to give you home runs. Juicing is not going to make you a better pitcher. Is it going to make you hit home runs? Fuck yeah. Anybody that says that it doesn't is full of shit. Is it going to make you run faster? Possibly. Can you throw a ball with more strength? Sure. But it's not, it's, it's not going to improve hand-eye coordination. It's not going to improve, you know, velocity. It's going to improve strength, endurance, things of that nature. But it's not going to improve the fundamentals. Look, you want to juice up and be a wrestler. You want to juice up and be a baseball player. It's your fucking body. You want to turn into a chemistry experiment. Knock yourself out. I don't give a shit. Because guess what? You get paid a fuckload of money. Vince McMahon is probably juiced to the fucking gills. Do you think he cares? Hell no. He doesn't give a shit. Vince McMahon's like, stick this needle in my ass, Paul. Stick it in my ass. Get the deck up, Paul. I'm ready. Seriously. Vince McMahon, juice to the fucking gills at like 80 years old. You want to know who's not on the juice? Ric Flair. Old flabby, bleedy tits himself is not on juice of any kind. The only kind of juice that he gets is the one that comes in a mixed drink and a bar. That's it. Vince? Juice to the gills. I think that I think by the time they do a, a coroner's report on Vince McMahon when he dies, you're gonna find all kinds of shit in there: ketamine, horse steroids, all kinds of shit. Possibly the soul of Randy Savage that he was injecting intravenously into his body to stay young. Who knows? I need Randy Savage's soul. Get it out of the locker. <laughs> Seriously, dude, it's, it's ridiculous. I mean, to see. Some of these guys, and to hear them acknowledge, hey, man, you know, I'm all natural. You're not. Not happening. Anyway. So, NXT coming to television, $100,000 in the pocket for WWE is a, is a good move. Not only that, but I'm going to be super, super honest. NXT, when you can find it on YouTube, has substantially better wrestling than the regular WWE product. I kid you not. There is tremendous talent in NXT right now, from El Generico to Cassius Ono. Tremendous talent down there. Tremendous talent. So getting them on NXT and and bringing that up to U.S. audiences is going to get fans super hyped. I mean, even watching ECW Light and seeing some of the guys compete there, you know, John Morrison and those guys, it gave them a good platform to show off their skills. Even Ezekiel Jackson, you know, those guys... They were in the ECW 2.0, but they had a platform to give us something different, which isn't a bad move. I'm just saying. So I heard and I and, you know, it's been mentioned on a couple of different websites, but we all know that, you know, when Fandango debuted, he had 
that really swank leg drop that he did, and then he started using a variation of the flatliner. Now, they're saying that the WWE is doing that because the flatliner is a safer move. They're figuring that in terms of long-term health, you know, top rope leg drop is going to lead to hip and knee issues down the line. And, and you know, it's, it's, a, it's an interesting strategy that they're utilizing because looking at some of these guys, and I'm really curious, I'd love to know, like, think of guys like Evan Bourne, Rob Van Dam, guys that do those high-impact aerial moves, what kind of, like, knee, you know, pre-existing nagging little issues they have with certain body parts. Like, let's take Rob Van Dam. The guy does five-star frog splash. Lance pretty much stomach first on a guy. And um, when he lands on him, you, yeah, you know, he sells it a certain way. But just what kind of trauma are you giving to, you know, your tendons and your abdominal muscles in your stomach doing that type of a move? Same thing with your knees hitting the mat when you do a five-star frog splash. Same thing with a... Uh, Evan Bourne shooting star press certain moves. They, you look at them and you wonder what type of ill effects wrestlers are suffering because of those moves. Now you look at, you know, CM Punk, he already has like knee problems from different things. But if you notice when he's done the Randy Savage elbow, his knees hit the mat 90% of the time flush. And even though he has knee pads and stuff, I'm sure that that takes its toll. So I got to commend them for kind of planning ahead and extending the shelf life by giving, you know, this guy another finisher. Now, you look at Ryback, a lot of these guys, their finishers, while they are okay, they're very, very safe. Think about the attitude adjustment. The attitude adjustment, for all intents and purposes, is just a fireman's carry with a little bit of extra oomph behind it. That's really it. If you've watched wrestling as long as I have, you know what a transitional fireman's carry is. You've seen it used by Bob Backlund. You've seen it used by a lot of these guys to transition into other moves. Cena pretty much made it a glorified finisher. So just just a, an observation I you know you got to look at. If you look at Chris Jericho's original Lion Tamer or Walls of Jericho versus regular Boston Crab walls of Jericho, you'll see that those are the things, you know, they, they want to protect the wrestlers. I mean, occasionally he'll break out the old school lion tamer walls of Jericho. And it's cool, you know, which is the one that had the knee resting on the neck, but I'm sure that that's predetermined with guys that he, you know, either a trust him with that move or that the WWE kind of gives him a pass because you don't see him utilize that with everybody, which, you know, it, it is what it is. I think in terms of long-term planning, I got to acknowledge that it's probably a safer bet. Same thing with Biggie Langston's big ending. If you look at that move, it's relatively safe because even the way you land is 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 in a safe way that you're not really injuring anything because Langston is still using a back bump in that match for the finisher. Even Ziggler, if you look at Ziggler's move, you're still he's pulling you down into a back bump. It's the way that it's sold that makes it work. The spear is a little different because you know if you you there is a, a a you know an opportunity to tear an ACL or an MCL doing that finisher. Same thing with if you hit the person a certain way, you can get a stinger or you know get some sort of a neck injury. So those are things you got to consider, especially like I said in terms of long term planning for your athletes. I got to commend them for it. So this week, WWE did their um, their conference call, and Vince, you know, being Vince, they asked him about the WWE Network, 
And he said that they're working on it and that they want to build it as a, you know, and build out a subscription model for it. So they're saying that they're, you know, they have all the programming, but they're working on dealing with some providers, including international ones. But he said that by the end of 2015, we should start seeing, you know, the WWE network coming to fruition, which it's it's crazy because we've talked about this at length throughout, you know, the last year or two about the WWE network and the way it's been developing. And you can't just start a network from scratch without a complete infrastructure in place. Don't get me wrong. WWE has hours upon hours upon hours upon hours of programming to fill the need for for a, a complete network. But you have to look at it from the standpoint that there is, you know, there's advertising that you have to guarantee. You have to guarantee revenue. Now, if you look at channels like FX, TNT, they have a, a stable of advertisers. That's why sometimes if you watch like Law and Order or something on TNT and you see like 19 commercials for that fake light bright or that stupid stuffed animal with all the pockets, that's you know that's the kind of advertising that they get in place. I think with WWE, they have a, an opportunity to reach you know the WalMarts, the Targets, uh, Best Buy, GameStop, stuff like that. Because, you know what, Cap, uh, Captain Quirky makes a good observation. We were seeing WWE promos back in 2011. You know what, you're right, because they actually unveiled that logo at the time. So, he, he, he has a valid point. Going back as far as 2011, here we are in 2013, and we still don't have a complete infrastructure in place. I think it's a tough sell to generate that kind of a network. Because, again, WWE has the programming, but you have to find a way to monetize it to where cable companies are going to make money. Like I've always said, if WWE launched their network and Fios or Cablevision or Time Warner Cable was like, hey, you know, you can add the WWE network to your to your cable package for 10 bucks a month, you know, on par with HBO, then it would work because people would sign up for it or even $5 a month because remember, HBO, Cinemax, Showtime, all these, they don't have commercials, so it's not, it's a different you're getting a different set of programming there. WWE wants to have advertisers. You're going to get commercials. It's going to happen. So in that respect, you can even say, Hey, you know, five bucks between five and $7 a month extra to your bill for the WWE network. Nothing wrong with that. You give us all the smaller pay-per-views and you give us the big four that we got to pay for. Not for nothing. A lot of people that I know that I've spoken to, they say the same thing. They're like, Dude, you know, you spend 50, 60 bucks on a pay-per-view every month, especially guys I work with that have kids that are wrestling fans, they've they've adopted a different strategy where it's, you know, they all chip in, they watch it at a friend's house, they alternate friends every month, but again, 50, 50, 50, 50, 50, it adds up. Now, if you said to me, hey, you know, give us seven bucks a month for programming, and then you can buy the big four, it won't be so bad because you know, hey, I'm buying WrestleMania because I got, you know, backlash or whatever bullshit other pay-per-views for free and I want to really see Mania, so I'll pay for it. Same thing applies with um you know, SummerSlam, Survivor Series, the Rumble. Those are pay-per-views that we all look forward to and they always deliver. The Rumble is probably one of my favorites because so much craziness happens and you don't even know who's going to come back. That's one of those, yeah, you can predict what how it might end, but you're not you can't predict who's gonna show up. So it's always uh, a really, really awesome pay per view and it's actually one that I 
most times order for that reason. Now, when you look at the UFC model, they have a mo- the model that the UFC has can kind of be molded to how the WWE has it. Now, of course, the UFC had wanted originally to start their own network. They were going to buy G4, and then I don't know what happened, but that fell through. But think about it. You get how many UFC shows for free? UFC on Fox, UFC on Fuel, UFC on FX. Those are all three levels of programming you get for free, plus the Ultimate Fighter. So you get all that for free, but people still buy pay-per-views. I watch all that free MMA but I will buy a pay-per-view without a doubt. You know, I'll pay the $55 because there's incentive to order it. WWE can do the same thing. Give away all the wrestling, have all that unique programming and above all else, give us all the smaller pay-per-views. Not for nothing. I, you know, a WWE network where you can watch raw SmackDown, NXT main event, old ECW stuff, old, um, old NWA stuff, WCW Nitro, Thunder. Think about that. You got all that programming at your disposal. You get all the live stuff, you know, Raw, SmackDown. You can even do SmackDown Live, give it Tuesdays, and then you got programming for the whole week. You got Live Raw Monday, Live SmackDown Tuesday, Main Event Wednesday, Superstars Thursday, NXT Friday. You got a complete week of original programming. Then you could buffer that in with original stuff like, you know, like the Diva show or, you know, classics on, you know, not classics on demand, but like older stuff. Maybe you might give old WrestleManias like, hey, Thursday night, you could watch WrestleMania three, you know, on the WWE network, like stuff like that would work. And there's tremendous incentive there to get advertising because you got the deal with Kmart in place. You could advertise with that. All the games and stuff that you're putting out, you can advertise. And all the movies that WWE Films put out, which, whatever, they're shitty or not, you have a perfect platform to give them. So, think about, you know, 12 Rounds 2, which is complete dog shit. But you're releasing it on Blu-ray and DVD and whatever, and people may or may not buy it. I guarantee you, a handful will. But, that's a movie that in six weeks or a month or you know, six weeks to, to maybe three months. Actually, no, six weeks is, yeah, yeah, six weeks, maybe, maybe 12 weeks at best. You can give that movie on the network and probably get a better audience and a better turnout than it collecting dust and probably ending up in the Walmart bargain bin. And we're looking at the Miz, the Marine movie with the Miz as a prime example, because in Walmart, I went in there and the DVD for the Marine with the Miz was, I believe it was $8.99 in the bargain bin at Walmart. And you know how many copies there were? At least 25 mixed in with, you know, Vegas vacation and broken lizard movies and, you know, shit like Maniac Cop, you know, just, just the typical drivel. But there were tw- at least 25 copies of the Marine with the Miz in there. You know, you give that on the WWE Network, might not be a bad idea. But, I mean, we got till 2015. Hopefully they'll get it together and we can move it along. Because, seriously, I, I think it would work. But they got to adopt the model that the UFC is using within reason. And I think that they'll get people to pay for it. Not only that, but you got to price it competitively. Nobody's going to pay 15 bucks a month for a channel strictly for wrestling. Five, seven, probably. I mean, classics on demand is 10 bucks, 
But again, if you're making people pay the same thing that they'd pay for HBO, then you can't have commercials. Just saying. All right. So the last bit of news regard is regarding the shield. And it's funny because, you know, Seth Rollins put out a tweet and the tweet pretty much said, tearing down the wall, brick by brick by brick. We don't need no thought control. Hashtag believe in the shield. Now, NXT has a guy, his name is Sammy Zayn, S-A-M-I-Z-A-Y-N. A lot of you may recognize him because he was El Generico. Anyway, he, he sent a tweet to Seth Rollins, and it said, at WWE Rollins, I believe in the Shield. So take that as you will, but, you know, there's been rumors of a fourth member of the Shield, and not for nothing, El Generico wouldn't be a bad addition. I've always said Cassius Ono would work, but... El Generico, especially with his Sami Zayn gimmick, his regular gimmick, I could live with that. I believe in the Shield. So, like I said, take it for what it's worth, but who knows? We may see the former El Generico donning the black vest and camo pants and fucking somebody up on WWE Raw real soon. All right, that actually is going to wrap up the wrestling segment for this week. We are going to talk some video games, and let's not waste any time and get right into it. So IGN is reporting that there will be a brand new Scribblenauts game coming out utilizing uh, the DC license. It's going to be a very interesting game because it's being developed by Fifth Cell and it's going to be called Scribblenauts Unmasked. Um, The way it's going to be worked is you're going to be able to write an object into the world with the superheroes and solve puzzles. So the, you know, the title, the content, all that stuff, it's subject to change but it's supposedly coming out for the PC, the Wii U, and the 3DS, and we can expect it at E3 this summer. So, very interesting. What they're saying is that, think of it like you're doing a level, and you bump into Killer Croc, and you draw a hamburger. Doesn't work, but you could draw a sandwich with dynamite in it, which would get Killer Croc arrested. Like, things like that. I mean, it's a, it's a cool concept. Everybody that has played Scribblenauts, they always tell me, oh, dude, you should play it. Um, I was actually going to buy it for my sister, my older sister, because, you know, she has autism, but she is a, a very good artist. She loves to draw and it would be a game that would, you know, stimulate her mind to draw effectively. So it was a game that I actually had kind of on the back burner as a game I wanted to pick up for her, but I didn't know if the, um, the difficulty level was something she could, she could adjust to. I mean, you know, she plays Donkey Kong country, Mario and all that stuff, but strategy on that kind of a level with puzzles eh, a little a little iffy at best but it's cool that they're doing something different with the scribble knots franchise people like it um you know people that talk to me always extol the virtues of how great scribble knots is so i'm interested to see what they're going to do and hopefully we do get to see it at e3 this june cole mentions in the chat how he enjoys uh, injustice did you play the story mode for Injustice? And if so, let me know what you think. I'm curious, just because that story mode left a lot to be desired. Just saying. Anyway, a game that's been making waves this week is Watch Dogs. Hopefully, we will be getting a review copy of it. Uh, the game will be released here in North America November 19th and November 22nd in the UK. 
as of right now, all signs point to all current-gen systems getting the game, as well as PC, PlayStation 4, and whatever Xbox next-generation system gets announced as well. So far, the only news I've got is that the UK version will get four different bundles, including a Dead Sect edition with a um, figurine, a Vigilante edition with a cap and mask, then there's a Uplay exclusive edition with a steelbook case for the game, and a special edition which is going to come with an extra single-player mission. Um, As of right now, I haven't got any news regarding the North American bundles. I think Slick had mentioned some news with regards to that. Hopefully I'll get up with him later and maybe we can throw something up on the site. So besides everybody talking about watchdogs this week, the big thing was everybody collectively blowing their load on call of duty ghosts. And um, the reason I say that is because call of duty, everybody loves it, loves it. It's on, it's on a, a Madden level of devotion and and whatever, you know, I respect that. It's cool. But when you play each and every call of duty game and you strip away the fundamentals, it is you running around shooting shit, whether it's you shooting shit by yourself or with a group or with, um, dogs and, and canine units or dressed in a snow suit or a ghillie suit or a Santa Claus suit. Maybe you're shooting zombies Maybe you're shooting Avon ladies. Who knows? But the fact is that when you strip away all of the fluff, it's the same shit all the time. And again, I'm not I'm not dismissing it. I don't think it's bullshit. But I just feel that the fervor and the people going crazy. Oh, my God. New Call of Duty. Ah! It's like it's it's the same. Like I've been, I've played the call, some of the Call of Duty games, and I just play the single player campaigns, and they're usually pretty straightforward, pretty good. Uh, once in a while, I'll venture into multiplayer territory, and I'll get killed within five seconds, and I'll hear some little prepubescent kid, "Ha ha, noob, you're dead," you know. So things like that are, you know, it, it, I don't say, I don't think it's bullshit. I mean, Strider, Strider in the in the. Blog Talk Radio chat says it's Battlefield without the coolness. Battlefield is a, is a crazy game too. I mean, you know, I don't I don't I don't hate Call of Duty. I don't. I don't even hate Madden. The thing I don't like about Madden is that they don't take the game forward. They don't. It's pretty much glorified roster updates with minimal enhancements that make you really want to reinvest in the game. <laughs> Yes, uh, Captain Quark breaking my balls because I asked, what is quickscoping? Because, and, I, and I'll be the first to admit it, I don't really play Call of Duty like that. Like I said, I play the single-player campaigns and that's it. I get a cut, you know, I get acquainted with the multiplayer a little bit, but like all the nuances and, and all these weapon configurations and all that shit, I just don't do it. I want to shoot some some foreign guys in the face, you know. Oh my God, and you shoot a little little... little Russian terrorist in the face or something and you're like all right he's dead that's it you know that that's all I want nothing crazy dudes that play hardcore multiplayer though forget it it's a religion for those guys and if you play professionally forget it guys come in oh we're gonna do some scrims and you'll be like oh you want to join in it's like all right yeah I'll join your scrim why bother spawning you're getting shot as soon as you spawn and of course, you know, there's strategy and, and there's the right weapons you got to use. And, you know, I'm an admiral and I got a five star general ranking, whatever the fuck it is. But again, strip that all away. 
And it's the same game all the time. Now, with, you know, with ghosts, everybody's like, oh, yeah, but you get to play as the ghosts and blah, 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 versus playing as the Marines, versus playing as the Viet Cong, versus playing as Mercs. Like, what are you telling me that's different? I mean, I played, um, what the hell did I play? There was one, there was a, was it Medal of Honor, was it? Hmm. There was one game I played not too long ago. I, I, it was a Gamefly Q review game, and it was pretty cool because, you know, you got to use, um, you know, the little, the little hovercopter, and you got to use that, and you got to use all these special types of ammunition, and you got to use adaptive camouflage, which pretty much worked um, the same way that the Aston Martin in the um, James Bond movie with Pierce Brosnan worked, where it kind of reflected the surface, but if you ran too quick, you could be spotted. Like, shit like that was cool because it was... It was futuristic and it was it was nifty, you know. I mean, it was it was different. I just feel with Call of Duty, it's like, oh look, you shoot zombies this time, great. Oh, we're gonna shoot aliens? Nah, I'll just play Halo. Like, no, it wasn't Spec Ops, Captain Quark. It was uh, yes, Ghost Recon Future Soldier. Thank you, Strider. I actually played that on the uh, GameFly Q review, and a lot of people were like, eh, it was all right. It was you know, it wasn't that good. It wasn't Call of Duty. Or it wasn't Battlefield, but Ghost Recon Future Soldier was a was a was a cool game. I liked it. It it actually gave me something a little different to use. Um, you know, it was it was it was all right, man. It was uh, everybody that that I spoke to when I reviewed that game in the GameFly Q review. They're like, man, it's not Call of Duty, yo. It's not, you know, map packs. It's like here, buy this sixty dollar game. And then spend another $25 on more maps. Yes. I just, I just feel that the hype, the, the hype is overblown. Now, the next-gen you know, next versions everybody's watching because they're going to be unveiling it on May 21st with the new Xbox. Cool. No problem. Uh, okay. Captain Quark uh, informed me that Battlefield 4 has a longer shelf life thanks to two years of DLC. I respect that. Do you pay for the DLC? If that, you know, I'm curious if you pay for the DLC, let me know. I'm curious about that, but that's what I'm saying. Like you play call of duty and it's like, here, we're going to pay. You're going to pay for all these maps and more maps. Like it's the same thing. I always say about DLC, you get nickel and dime and it turns a $60 game into an $80 game. Hell, even a hundred dollar game in some, in some respects. Injustice is a game that I said the same thing, and Slick and I have talked about it at length. You buy the game, 60 bucks. You buy the season pass to get all the new characters, that's 15 Right there, you just spent $75, not including tax. So far, you know, you got Lobo coming out, you're going to get some skins and stuff, but a year from now, maybe in six months, who knows, depending on how the shelf, the shelf life is, you go, you buy the game, and they'll put out, you know, the ultimate Injustice edition with all the DLC. It'll probably be 60 bucks, and you'll be better off. The captain says to me, Battlefield 3 had a year and a half of DLC that wasn't as expensive as the $60 DLC Call of Duty has. Fuck. $60 worth of DLC? Get the fuck out of here with that. But um, anyway, yeah, Call of Duty Ghosts, everybody going crazy about it. There's a trailer. I was going to put it on the on the site. I think it just slipped through the cracks and I forgot, but seriously. Here, put on this mask. Oh, it has a skull drawn on it. Do we see any gameplay? No. Do we see gameplay? Squee! 
Like, that's really how it is. It's like a flow chart. New Call of Duty gets announced. Arrow points down. Is there a trailer? Yes. Does the trailer have gameplay? No. Screenshots? Yes. Pre-order? Yes. Or, new Call of Duty announced. Trailer? No. Rumors? Yes. DLC? Yes. Zombies? Yes. Pre-order? Yes. Like, that's how this shit is. It's it's, it's all the same. And, and again, no, no disrespect to the Call of Duty community, whatever. You guys are hardcore. But I just don't see the allure of going crazy for a game that, for all intents and purposes, is just a reskin of the same shit. Like, you know, why don't you why don't you give me I don't know, uh drones where we could do real life missions. Hey, we're gonna go to Korea and kill Kim Jong un. That's what we're gonna do in Call of Duty this month. You know, the bin Laden mission, shit like that. Like like that shit is kinda cool. I mean, I've seen games that they try to do that and you know, people get all sensitive, but at least it gives you something like, Oh man, that's kinda cool. Like imagine you're playing a Call of Duty game as SEAL Team Six to kill bin Laden. I know that'd be that'd be kind of cool. It could be a bonus mission or something. You could download it. That's DLC. Do that shit. But the same tired old, eh, I just can't. It's it's a it's a debate that I probably will never win. But um, it's been a while since I've talked about Square Enix, so I wanted to bring them up this week because they're putting out Final Fantasy fourteen A Realm Reborn. It's going to be released on PC and PlayStation 3 later on this summer. The online RPG is going to enter its third phase of closed beta testing this June. There is no, um, there's no specific launch date yet, but they're going to be doing beta testing for PS3 players very soon. This relaunch, of course, is going to have new features, new areas, new classes. You're also going to get a new map system, new client software, and a ton of other shit. So... There you go. If you're a fan of the Final Fantasy series, they will be doing a uh, PlayStation 3 beta very soon. And as soon as I get a release date, I will let you guys know. Meanwhile, those of you that are fans of Borderlands 2, there's some fresh DLC coming your way. Tiny Tina's Assault on Dragon's Keep will be launching on June 25th. You can either get that as part of the season pass or buy itself for 10 bucks. So there you have it. Hideo Kojima was talking about Metal Gear Solid The Legacy Collection, which should be coming out on next generation consoles. Kotaku actually wrote an article about this, and people were all pissed off about it because they're like, oh man, you know, Xbox gamers always get shafted. But there is legitimate reasoning for it, and this is what it is. Kojima was saying that, you know, Metal Gear Solid 4 alone would be too big for the DVD disc format. When they put out the, when they were, you know, going to release it for the Xbox 360, they said that it would require up to seven discs. He was like, I want to put it out on the Xbox 360, but won't be releasing it. He said, when the next Xbox console comes out, maybe we can release it then. If we released a version on Xbox 360 without Metal Gear Solid 4, it's not a legacy collection. And it's true. Think about it. Metal Gear Solid 4 is more than likely going to be a huge fucking game. You know, it'd be too big for a DVD format like Blu-ray. You know, uh, the average Blu-ray disc you can either buy in 25 gig or 50 gig flavors. And these are blanks. So <laughs> Strider in the chat says that five of those discs would be cutscenes. <laughs> oh, shit. Damn. 
Hideo Kojima gets no love. But it's true. I mean, the Legacy Collection, when it's released, you're going to get Metal Gear Solid, Metal Gear Solid 2 HD Edition, Metal Gear Solid 3 HD Edition, Metal Gear Solid Peace Walker, Metal Gear Solid VR Missions, and Metal Gear Solid 4 Trophy Edition. No mention of Revengeance there, but who knows. Um, honestly, I think it's a sound strategy. You're going to release a, a box set with all with all the games, and it's going to have like 20 discs. Really? You're going to be playing, it's like, oh, time to switch discs. I mean, that was cool when we had, you know, Final Fantasy VII on the PlayStation, but now, come on. PlayStation 3, I got to give credit where credit is due. They don't have that problem. Xbox has to step their game up, and hopefully they do come May 21st. All right, so that's going to wrap it up for gaming news this week. We got a plethora of entertainment news, including some what-the-fuck entertainment news this week. So let's not waste any time and get right to it. So, the Mark Wahlberg rock bromance is leaving the big screen and heading to the small screen. It looks like The Rock will be executive producing and um, starring in a comma-slash-dramedy series or dramedy for HBO that's going to follow the lives of athletes, some retired and some still active, living in Miami. So what you're telling me is it's going to be basically Entourage with The Rock. That's what you're telling me. Rocktourage. That's what it, you should just call it that, rock tourage, because seriously, you're going to do a dramedy, quote unquote, that's the term that they have, with The Rock, who's executive producing it, and it's going to chronicle athletes, and they're going to be living in Miami, and they're going to be retired, and that, come on, dude, it's entourage with sports guys, seriously, it's not original, I mean, don't get me wrong, it's cool that The Rock wants to make the transition to the small screen, I think he would do well, especially in an HBO uh, cable setting, but don't don't try and paint this as some revolutionary programming because all it really sounds like entourage with athletes. Just saying. So, in some other small screen news, it looks like one of my favorite movies, which is L.A. Confidential, will be making the jump to the small screen. Uh, James L. Roy and New Regency are working on doing a sequel to L.A. Confidential, but for television. For those of you not familiar with L.A. Confidential, the original novel, um, you know, James Elroy wrote the original novel, which, of course, the film was based on, which came out in 1997. Um, Allegedly, he wrote a script for the first episode of a potential TV series, which is going to serve as a sequel. Of course, all the stories will continue the themes from the L.A. Confidential film. As of right now, they're shopping the series to networks. And they're looking to see if either utilizing a network or an emerging distribution platform, a.k.a. Netflix or Hulu. Um, the way the way it looks, in my opinion, is that if they did it, it would really, really be beneficial to do it either as a Netflix show or as a cable show. Um, the original pilot that was shot in 2000 was uh, following the Jack Vincennes character. Um, you know, use some of the events that they did, that they shot with that pilot. But if you pick up the LA Confidential Blu-ray or DVD, you can actually see that pilot. Um, 
it actually had Kiefer Sutherland playing Kevin Spacey's role. So if you haven't seen that or you've never looked at the extras on L.A. Confidential, definitely check that out. But an L.A. Confidential show, I mean, people love Mad Men. And um, I think L.A. Confidential would work. I would like to see it maybe on an FX or um, maybe uh, HBO or Showtime. Uh, Netflix is always a viable option. Hulu, not so much, especially after what I saw with their Zombieland um, show that they wanted to do on Hulu, which, I mean, not Hulu, which um, Amazon On Demand, which looked like shit. I think LA Confidential would do well. And with James L. Roy behind it, I it, ha- it definitely has a recipe for success. Ron Perlman is in our entertainment news this week. And he really, 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 really wants to do a third Hellboy movie. Well, he actually got, um, he was part of a Q&A at C2E2. And uh, he said, I've been giving Guillermo body shots for two years. We both walked away from Hellboy 2 agreeing that, they, that there would never be another one. But with the passage of time, it became clear to me that he always really designed this, this series as a trilogy. He has a very well-articulated idea of what the resolve would look like, and it's amazingly theatrical and is, in, and is epic in scope and would make for amazing cinema, with or without the first two movies. But there are so many questions posed in the first two films that absolutely needed to be answered. I said, you owe it to the world to finish this trilogy. I've been giving him Jewish guilt. Not for nothing. Excluding the Marvel movies and... and you know, DC's movies. I've always had a soft spot for the Hellboy films. Always had a soft spot for them. I mean, I read, I read, I read the books from Dark Horse. I like the characters. I like the mythology. I never ever thought that the Hellboy movies sucked. They were they were a little a little campy at times, especially the second one to some degree. But I think Ron Perlman was amazing as Hellboy. The movie was tremendous especially the first one. The second one, like I said, has its has its little cons in there a little bit, but it was still an enjoyable film. I, I really, really enjoyed the Hellboy series, and I, and I have to agree. I think that there's a bigger story to be told, especially with the ending of the second Hellboy film. There, there's a tremendous story there, and not for nothing, you could probably wrap it up with a third film. I'd like to see it. I mean, I like Guillermo del Toro. He does awesome films, but... I've always I've always had the same sentiment that Hellboy should at least be a trilogy. So we shall see what happens. Michael Bay is in the news this week, and he's in there for two different reasons. Number one, he actually did an interview with Movie Phone, not Fandango, but Movie Phone, about Ninja Turtles and Transformers 4. So he wanted to talk about the Ninja Turtles being aliens. He actually confirmed that the rumors about the Ninja Turtles being aliens are false. How that works, I couldn't tell you because there were way too many sites that reported that they wanted to make them aliens. Fuck, I went into a whole crazy diatribe about it because it was coming from, you know, Deadline, Hollywood Reporter, superhero stuff, you name it. I mean, super, excuse me, superhero hype. So, when asked about the Ninja Turtles, he said... There was that quote saying that we're making the Ninja Turtles aliens. We're not. It's the ooze. It's from the original source material. These are from the original writers, and I never went out to correct myself in the press. I do listen to the fans, and I do want this to be authentic. I think they're going to be really happy with this movie. When I see the digital stuff, the turtles look great. So there you have it. 
The turtles will be coming from the ooze and will not be aliens. I have a nagging suspicion that he realized that the people hated the idea so much that he may have just backtracked for that reason. But who knows? All signs point to the turtles not being aliens. So they asked him a little bit about Transformers 4. He said, there are a couple of historians of Transformers. I would do my designs of the robots and they're like, what if you just add a little bit more of the ears to Optimus? But they're really hands off. We've redesigned all the Transformers in Transformers 4, and there's some really cool shit in there. I'm literally redesigning every character top to bottom. There's a reason why they're redesigned, but it's also to keep it new and fresh. I think the fans will appreciate some of the new stuff we have in the movie and some of the new characters. Not for nothing, considering that Optimus Prime lost his fucking arm at the end of the last movie, I think he kind of needs to be reformatted. Just saying. Anyway... Ninja Turtles is anticipated to be opening is, uh, well, excuse me, not anticipated, rumored to be opening June 6, 2014, and Transformers 4 is looking to debut in June as well, probably around June 27th. So, Michael Bay, besides answering all that, is counting a nice chunk of change this past weekend with Pain and Gain, which was number one at the box office, taking in $20 million. Number two was Oblivion. Number three was 42. Number four was The Big Wedding. Number five was The Croods. Number six was G.I. Joe Retaliation. Number seven was Scary Movie 5. Number eight was Olympus Has Fallen, which is almost at $100 million. Number nine was The uh, Place Behind the Beyond the Pines. And Jurassic Park 3D was number 10. Uh... Dark Helmet just informed me that the Transformers ride opens in Universal Studios Orlando on June 20th. So if you guys are planning any trips to Universal Studios, make sure to stop in on June 20th or afterwards to check out the Transformers ride. Thank you, Dark Helmet. In some other news, Carrie Fisher has officially confirmed that she will be doing Star Wars Episode 7. She confirmed it at the Calgary Comic and Entertainment Expo. She said, I like being bought by Disney because they never wanted to buy me before. I'm glad they're doing a new movie because they're sending a trainer to my house so I can get in really good shape. So I'm really eating a lot of sugar in advance, as you can see. By the time I really get down to it, I'll have eaten everything. So there you have it. Carrie Fisher is officially back on board with Star Wars Episode 7, which is scheduled for a summer 2015 release date. Gears of War is in news this week because it seems that they're finally starting to move ahead with the film. Uh, The Gears of War movie is officially moving forward after being long dead. Uh, The bad news, though, is that the guy who produced Battleship is responsible for the project moving forward. Um, The guy Scott Stuber came on board um, as a producer. He also did produce Ted, so there you have it. No other creative staff has been announced, no distributors, nothing, but, uh, yeah, there you go. The guy that was, a guy that was involved in Battleship is involved in a Gears of War movie. Take it for what it's worth. So, let's talk about the what the fuck movie news for this week, which involve Marvel and the Fantastic Four. So, we all know that the Fantastic Four reboot is being directed by Josh Trank, who's well known for doing Chronicle which was an awesome movie. First up, (laughs) 
Oh, I got to stop for a second. Captain Quark, how hasn't the guy who produced Battleship been fired into the sun? That shit bombed. Dude, I, I can't disagree, but clearly the guy is going to be uh, producing Gears of War, so maybe he'll redeem himself. I doubt it, but you never know. Anyway, so Allison Williams from the from Girls, the HBO show, is said to be up for a role in Fox's Fantastic Four reboot. Deadline reports that the actress is on a shortlist for the film, which is being directed, of course, by Josh Trank. Right now, it's in the early stages, but the film is being written by Seth Graham Smith, Michael Green, and Jeremy Slater, and production for it is scheduled to begin for a March 6, 2015 release date. So, Allison Williams and Girls is rumored to be in the film. They're not saying whether she's going to be Invisible Woman or not, but here is the the what-the-fuck news item for this. The rap is reporting that Michael B. Jordan who you guys may know from Chronicle, The Wire, and Friday Night Lights, is up for the role of Johnny Storm, a.k.a. the Human Torch in Josh Trank's reboot of Fantastic Four. Here's the the thing. Johnny Storm, played by Chris Evans in Marvel, is white. Michael B. Jordan is black. Just saying. Michael B. Jordan was the black kid in Chronicle that got struck by lightning. Yeah. So you want to make Human Torch black. Ah, yeah. Anyway, so 20th Century Fox hasn't commented on it, but they're saying that Trank has wanted to work with Jordan after their work on Chronicle. Jordan's had several meetings with Fox, from what they're saying, he's got a good relationship with Trank. The film hasn't been greenlit, but they are doing principal photography. Matthew Vaughn is producing. Jeremy Slater wrote the script with help from Seth Graham Smith. Like I said, Johnny Storm is the brother of Invisible Woman. Invisible Woman is white. Johnny Storm, in turn, is white. Now, Before anybody gets on their high horse, oh, well, Nick Fury is black. Yes, I understand that. But if you read Ultimate Marvel or or the Ultimates, Nick Fury is black in those comics. And Nick Fury looks like Samuel motherfucking Jackson. So, no, it's not the same. I don't mind recasting characters as different ethnicities. But you know what? Instead of making Human Torch black, why don't you make a Black Panther movie? Why don't you make a Luke Cage movie? Why don't you do shit like that so that African Americans and minorities cannot feel left out of the whole big Marvel Cinematic Universe? No, let's just dip Johnny Storm in chocolate and make him black. That'll make everything better. Oh, fuck out of here. Anyway, i just been informed that Slick is on the line, so let me bring him on. Slick, my friend. What's up, man? Race has absolutely nothing to do with the fact that they want to make Johnny Storm black. Comment? I don't know what the fuck they're thinking. Thank you. Because even with the whole um, Samuel Jackson thing, 
They've explained that off as the black Nick Fury is the son of the original Nick Fury. Well, that's how they brought him into the, you know, into the regular Marvel universe. But if you read the Ultimates, Nick Fury's just black Nick Fury. You know, like there's no old Nick Fury was his dad. He's just like, hey, it's Nick Fury. He's black. That's it. Because it's the Ultimates. It's different. There hasn't been an Ultimate Fantastic Four yet where Human Torch is black. <laughs> and like you said, Johnny Storm is the brother, the, the younger brother of Susan uh, Storm, which you said they're thinking of making Alfred Williams Sue Storm, which she clearly is not black. Thank you. I mean, they haven't said that that's the role, but it's like when you're talking about named actresses, clearly you're looking at them for, I don't know, lead parts. <laughs> so, I mean, something's going to be fucked up in that movie because if you make this kid Johnny Storm, and let's say if they made Allison Williams Sue Storm, or excuse me, Susan Richards, because she right. marries Reed Richards, I mean, let, let's even look at it a different way, because then this will really get people going fucking insane, because, you know, we're only in 2013. Let's say you make Johnny Storm black. Let's say you make Sue black. Wow, Reed Richards married a black woman. Yep, there you go. But you know what? Before before we even touch on that even further, these are the... Remember when they made Idris Elba Heimdall... And people bitched that Heimdall is black? I understand the concern, but nobody gives a fuck about Heimdall. Who cares? Heimdall, Norse god, a.k.a. the gatekeeper. He's the equivalent of fucking Rick Moranis in Ghostbusters. Nobody gave a fuck about him either. Come on. There's no way to justify that Human Torch is black. There's no comics that made them black. Last time I checked, there wasn't a black version of the Fantastic Four. There wasn't a fucking Hispanic Los Cuatro Fantásticos. We didn't have that shit either. Fantastic Four. You know what they are? A white family with a big orange guy made of rocks. I was going to say, the only person you could have gotten away with making black... It's freaking Ben Grimm. Thank you. Shit, I would I wouldn't I wouldn't mind that. Hey, Ben Grimm is black. Okay, cool. Whatever. Because eventually you're just gonna cover it in rocks. <laughs> Thank you. It's like if they would have said, yo, Ben Grimm is gonna be black, I'd be like, awesome. I could li- I could live with that. Fuck it. It's like you see him on screen as a black dude for five minutes and then all of a sudden makeup and special effects like, yo, hold these rocks, bitch. Dude, not for nothing, if you were to do a reboot of the Fantastic Four and he was still alive, I would have said, yo, make the late Michael Clark Duncan, you know, the thing. It would have worked. He's got a cool voice. It works. No problem. But, yo, you're legit saying we're going to make Human Torch black just because the director and the kid get along. Really? Here's an idea. Why don't you just make a movie about Static Shock and have him play that? No, because it'll make Static Shock white. There you go. Static Shock is white. Black Panther's a white guy. <laughs> you know. I remember somebody said, you know, I, I saw a post earlier this evening 
or yesterday evening at this point. They said, yeah, I want Black Panther when we wear T'Challa is a blue-eyed blonde dude. Yes. There you go. Why not? Hey, I got an idea. Hey, Halle Berry's dropping out of X-Men, so we're just going to make Scarlett Johansson play Storm. Y'all don't mind, right? Low-cut zipper on the costume, y'all. Come on. Actually, yeah. Let's let's actually make Black Panther white. Let's (laughs) make an African king a fucking blue-eyed blonde dude. Hey, hey. That's not going to piss off anybody. Hey, there there are white (laughs) South Africans. I'm just saying. Charlize Theron, you know? She got a black card. (laughs) Dude, there's no way to rationalize that. There's not. Like, I can understand if they did Ultimate Fantastic Four and they made a racially diverse Fantastic Four where, you know, Reed Richards is is African-American and Susan Richards or Susan Storm is is African-American in turn making Johnny Storm African-American. And then you can make Ben Grimm a big Hispanic guy or a big or big white guy. Okay, but that would have already been established. What are you going to do? You know, the same way that they took Black Nick Fury and brought him into the regular Marvel Universe to make it work? What are you going to do with a black Fantastic Four? How are you going to make that happen? Johnny Storm was never really Johnny Storm. He was a scroll. The real Johnny Storm is black. (laughs) That's it, dude. That's how they do it. I got it perfect. Let's make a new Fantastic Four. There you go. Let's make Reed Richards black. Yep. But let's make Sue Storm white. There you go. Because he's Mr. Fantastic. There you go. Fuck it. I wonder why she calls him that, right? Um, I, I Yes, I know. <laughs> there you shit go. writes itself. There you go. Always bet on black. I like what Strider says in the chat. Make him Asian. Make Lucy Liu play Luke Cage. <laughs> oh, my God. But it's true. It's like you, you think, of the, think of the silliness in that. And again... It's not even a racial thing, but the thing that bugs me is when when Idris Elba was cast as Heimdall, you see all these historians and 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 Marvel elitists like, yo, you know, the Norse gods. What god? What Norse god is black? Doesn't Norse mean blonde haired and blue eyed? Doesn't a fucking place that doesn't exist even matter? <laughs> How about that? Hey, you know Norse gods, really? Norse gods, they were legit. They were. Do you know what color they are? Do you have Odin on speed dial? Maybe he's on page 56 of the Bible next to Jesus and Buddha. Come on. Fuck out of here. The the same logic can be applied with Jesus. We've said this. We got soul glow Jesus, Hebrew Jesus, white Jesus. We got Jesus with the sombrero on that I see in Spanish Harlem. Yes, Latino Jesus. That's it. You got Latino Jesus. Come on, man. And you got the extra rugged Old Spice Jesus. That's it. Which is the Jesus that he usually has like the Kimbo slice beard and the really kind of ratty mullet. And they usually show him drawn. uh, They don't put him on regular pictures. They usually put him on wood that has like shellac varnish over the picture. Exactly. That's what they do. You know that. Yes, I remember that. Strider made a great point. Morgan Freeman playing God and Bruce Almighty. I remember that. People were like, 
why you got Morgan Freeman playing God and Bruce Almighty? Because I want Morgan Freeman to narrate my fucking life. <laughs> That's what I want. I want Morgan Freeman to be like, here's Rich waking up this morning. Rich is walking to his car. Rich just told the guy to take the middle finger that he just gave him and use it on his mother. Which, by the way, I did do that this morning. <laughs> I did do that. Guy ate the light. I honked at him. He gave me the finger. I stuck my entire head out the window and told him to use that finger on his mother on Old Country Road right by the courthouse. Jesus Christ. Yes, I did yell that. I did. I did. But that's what I'm saying. Like, you know, Morgan Freeman playing God. Does anyone know what God looks like? I seen God. My God plays air guitar and comes in a magical phone booth with George Carlin. The fuck out of here. It's true. Like, race in that point has no bearing because you the interpretation of God's is up to that interpretation. This is the fucking Fantastic Four. There's no there's no way, even in a storyline, to make them African American unless you do Ultimate Fantastic Four, which by the way they did, and they're still white. <laughs> it's, I mean, honestly, it's not even the fact that they're gonna make they're thinking of making Johnny Storm black. It's the fact that they will wind up making his sister white. And I'm like What's wrong with this picture here? Yeah, I know you guys want to do racial diversity, but they're not like stepbrother and sister. They're biological and they're brother and a, sister. And they're not adopted either. Nope. Not adopted. So, it's like, unless you're going to, I don't God knows why, give Rihanna another job on screen. Please don't. Yeah, please don't. But unless you're doing that, why are you making Johnny Storm black? I don't understand. I understand, you know, Josh Trank, he liked working with the kid in Chronicle. That's great. But you know what? There's a dozen other projects that you can use them for. Like Chronicle 2. Like Chronicle 2. Thank you. Not for nothing, even though he died, but you know what I mean. But still. Yeah, I just realized that as soon as I said it. Fuck it. Who cares? <laughs> you will play other character. We've seen that a dozen times where the same cast members come back and play different people. Sure, go for it. Just saying, dude. Well, considering their powers, he could be like an Obi-Wan Kenobi. Come back and go for him. It's like, yo, if you tell me, hey, the black guy's going to play Silver Surfer, same thing. Who cares? Oh, hey, black guy's playing. Thank you. Black guy's playing the kingpin. Didn't give a fuck. Because where are you going to find a white guy that big? <laughs> you know? I'm just saying. Just get like, Ryback, Just get Ryback to breathe on everybody. That's it. Just a shaky Ryback. Shaky ass Ryback. I've always said the only, the only logical casting would have been Brock Lesnar as Eddie Brock in Spider-Man. That was it. Bro. But, um... While I got you here, there's actually a, a few things you can actually help me tie things up. So, Kelsey Grammer is going to be the bad guy in Transformers 4. Just saying. He's not playing a robot either. Just a good old-fashioned flesh-and-blood human. So I'm assuming he's going to be Megatron's bitch, or Unicron's bitch, or Galvatron's bitch. But he'll be somebody's bitch, but still be a bad guy. And I'm sure Mark Wahlberg will punch him in the face. 
and so so goes the continuous trend of fucking Michael Bay casting way too many fucking humans for a movie that is underbilled as robots in disguise. Well, you know what this reminds me of? He he seems because he's a counterintelligence officer, probably like the character of Cyrus in the in the anime in Transformers animated, Transformers Prime. You know what Kelsey Grammer will be good as? Shoot, remember in the original Transformers uh, show, the the crazy fucking mad scientist with like one robotic hand. True, I remember that guy. That's who Kelsey Grammer should play. Didn't he end up working, doing the Pretenders? Wasn't that when they did the Pretenders? Nah, he was going long before that. Or was that where they put the Autobots in human bodies? I think so. No, he was going before that, too. He was involved in schemes like when they... um, they framed the Autobots and had them shot shot off planet into the sun. Ah, yes. But yeah, I mean, Kelsey Grammer, I don't mind the casting, but like I said, he's probably just going to be, you know, a number two to whoever. So whatever it is, no big deal. I mean, Wahlberg is probably the only main guy in there. Stanley Tucci, who, you know, I mean, most of the guys minus, minus Wahlberg are pretty regular. But, um, yeah, so Kelsey Grammer is going to be the human villain, so we'll see how that goes. On the other on the other Marvel side of news, you know, I mentioned last week that um, the Daredevil rights reverted back to Marvel. And he said that, you know, Kevin Feige said in Entertainment Weekly that they weren't going to do another Daredevil movie, but they may try and develop it for TV and do a, uh, you know, a legal procedural with Costume Vigilante, which not for nothing, dude, I think Daredevil works in that regard. You know, you have a little bit of a yeah, law show in there. like uh, the Flash TV show. Yep. Or like even like Arrow, you know, you got a little bit of the, the real world legal shit. And then you got some, some costumed ass kicking. Don't get me wrong. Daredevil's an awesome character. Is he a character that I'm going to pay 20 bucks in, or $30 in movie tickets and popcorn to sit through a movie? It's like, hi, I'm a blind guy and I fuck people up. Thanks. Yeah, because he's a lawyer, you know, a TV show actually kind of works better than a movie. Yep, and you can throw so many, like, subpar villains. Like, you know, like, sometimes, you know, he defends, like, supervillains that aren't even guilty sometimes. Like, shit like that. You can have a lot of fun with that. Throw some. And if they had any, any common sense, they would link they would link the TV show into movies. Cause yep. Because he also defends superheroes, as in... Uh, he defended one Bruce Banner. That's right. Uh, Mr. Murdoch, you will be working alongside Counselor Jennifer Walters. You know? Yes. Shit like that will work, dude. So you never know. We might see that. But check this out, which is another character that I didn't even know his rights reverted back to Marvel. You know who that is? Ghost Rider. Ghost Rider's right. I don't know if they can bring back Ghost Rider after what they've done with it. Yep, Sony previously made two Ghost Rider movies starting Nicolas Cage. The first movie released in 2007 grossed $228 million worldwide with $115 million in the U.S. box office. Ghost Rider Spirit of Vengeance made only $51 million in the U.S. and $131 million worldwide. And he said, 
It's unlikely a Ghost Rider movie reboot will be made anytime soon. According to Marvel Knights Kevin Feige, whenever a character comes back to us, it's usually because the other, the other studios don't want to make the movies anymore. And that usually means the previous movies may not have been particularly well received. They all have potential, but we're not going to say we got it back, make it. Here's the thing with Ghost Rider that killed me. The guys that did Crank did the second Ghost Rider movie, and the second Ghost Rider movie was kind of cool, but it tried too hard. It's like, it, it was basically Crank with my skull being on fire. It's really what it was. Like, it was it was all, like, Nicolas Cage being, you know, fucking Chev Chelios out in that movie being all crazy and shit. I'm like, uh, not really how it works. And then the bad guy was like the lamest motherfucker ever. It's like Ghost Rider has a large rogues gallery of badass dudes. Mephisto, Death Watch, Blackheart, Vengeance, who ended up becoming an ally. Come on. How difficult is that shit? So Apparently I, very difficult. Well, I, I got to agree with what you're saying. It's like the damage has been done. You got to wait like five years before you even touch that shit again. Oh, I'm not disagreeing, Captain Quark. Crank 2 is fucking amazing. But that's the thing. Crank is crank. Ghost Rider shouldn't be Chev Chelios on fire. Shouldn't be. Doesn't work. Crank is amazing, dude. I own both Crank movies. I bought them shits. And I watched them more than once. Because they're stupid. Fucking Chelios. I have the Crank ringtone on my phone. Like, legitimately. They should have fucking set Jason Statham on fire and then the Crank 2. They're like... That's it, dude. Like, that's really it. You know that shit is serious when Crank is my fucking ringtone. Legit. Legit my ringtone. Hold on a minute. See? Not lying. Ladies and gentlemen, the host of My Take Radio is a madman. Yeah, dude, I fucking love Crank. Fucking Chelios? No doubt. But it's like, hi, I'm Nicolas Cage pretending to be Jason Statham, pretending to be Crank. On fire. Fighting the old guy from fucking, that played the king in John Carter. Get out of here. I gotta take, I gotta take you seriously? Like you're the devil? Fuck you. Then you had a guy that, that made shit rot, but yet the funny thing is he couldn't make Twinkies rot. Yuck, yuck, yuck. I'm glad that's so funny. I'm glad that's what you could come up with. Hi, my superpower is that I make you get fungus and die. Jesus Christ. Great work. I just turned you into a slice of moldy bread. How does it feel? Oh, you're dead. Come on. It was stupid. I also didn't like that they made, like, the, the, the motorcycle so different, like, so gritty. Because I like the fucking crazy chopper he had in the first one. That shit was awesome. But they were like, yeah, we're just not going to spend the money on that shit. Anyway, last two bits of movie news. Scarlet Witch and Quicksilver, for all intents and purposes, are a lock for Avengers 2. So we may be seeing them. According to what they're saying, the... They, they're already in the first draft, but they're trying to work out some, some, some issues because both characters are mutants and they are the children of Magneto, 
whose film rights obviously belong to 20th Century Fox. So you know that they're going to have to fucking alter the shit out of their origins and their backgrounds unless they pay money to 20th Century Fox. Sucks, right? That's what I mean. Like, Marvel needs to keep bring all that shit in-house. It's like, don't get me wrong. I like what they did with X-Men First Class. The X-Men movies were okay. Uh, Days of the Future Past looks cool. And I know um, Dark Helmet mentioned something about a Bishop movie. Bishop will be in X-Men Days of the Future Past. But I'm just saying. It's like, you bring the shit in-house, you don't got these problems. Because now you're stuck. Now you got to create some crazy origin to make sure that they're not Magneto's kids or even mention Magneto. Just don't mention Magneto. That's it. That's it. But, you know, they got to give some kind of an origin. You know how that works. No, they really don't. Because if you think about it, they really didn't give an origin for Hawkeye. Their origin for Hawkeye was... He worked for S.H.I.E.L.D. Yep. And he worked for S.H.I.E.L.D. Like He was just like, hey, look, I shoot arrows. And I have a grumpy cat face. <laughs> That's my gimmick. You ain't never gonna let him look that down, are Hell you? the fuck no. But, um... Yeah, I mean, it, it's cool. I mean, uh, Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch are staples in the Avengers universe, so it's cool. Anyway. It's like, they, they give people origins that really nobody even gives a shit about. Hey, let's make an Ant-Man movie. Yeah, seriously. Everybody wants to see a guy who talks to roaches. Oh, yeah, it's going to be fantastic. All right, you know, that, that's on the back burner. We still got a while for that. But, of course, it's officially Friday, which means Iron Man is in theaters, which means that we got to talk about preliminary box office totals before we close out this week. Iron Man 3 has now passed $300 million at the international box office. Jesus Christ. Already. It's already surpassed. It's already... <laughs> Captain Quark says, Ant-Man will be awesome. Don't play. I'm not saying it's going to be shit, but it's just... Of all the characters you could make, Ant-Man... At least it's not Wonder Man. He fucking sucks. Um, Iron Man 3 already surpassed Captain America's international totals. It already surpassed... Iron Man's totals, it already surpassed Thor's totals. And as of tomorrow, it will surpass Iron Man 2, earning $312 million. Madness. Yep. In China, Iron Man 3 earned $21.5 million for its opening day, representing the highest opening in box office history. I saw somebody say, skip the... 3D and IMAX for it though. Like they, they weren't saying it's a bad movie. They just basically ninety like, seconds. You know, I guess this did not enough 3D worthiness in it to to justify the extra ticket price. Yeah, I don't know if I'm gonna go see it at IMAX. I may, if not, theater with the comfy seats. Theater that I would fall asleep in. Fuck that. <laughs> oh, there you I'm have like, it. Yeah, let's talk about that for a second. It's like, who really thought it was a good idea? 60 seconds. That are basically hold on, hold on one second. Uh, for those of you listening on the Block Talk radio feed, it is 2 minutes to 2 a.m. The live broadcast on BTR will be ending. You can listen to it on the Mixler feed, Mixler, M-I-X-L-R dot com forward slash my take radio. I'm tired of this English lady yelling in my ear. I wish I could mute her ass. Anyway. 
you can listen on the Mixler feed, and if not, then you can catch the archive later on on Blog Talk Radio or on iTunes. Go ahead. Yeah, it's like, I mean, I understand you said it's really nice, and I haven't had a chance to go there myself. I'm planning on it. But it's like, I mean, you sit and you watch movies in your bed at home. And Ten seconds. That's why you have TVs that turn off after a certain amount of inactivity. Well, here's here's the point. Yeah, motherfuckers pissed <laughs> off because they spent twenty dollars for a movie and they fell asleep like forty minutes in. Well, I got to tell you something about that theater that I thought was tremendous. Number one, when you go and you buy your ticket, you can pick your fucking seat like a sporting event. So they'll be like, "Oh, you're, you you picked the, like you I picked the last row by the exit." So it's it was three seats. Was it three seats? It was four seats. We had three people going. So, you know, you pick, you know, row, row M seats one, two, one through three. So we walk in there, you take your seats, and that's it. Now, if you do that, it's cool because if you walk in and somebody's in the seat, you'll be like, hey, man, you know, I got this seat here. All right, cool. Like, that's a cool concept. And that way it kind of helps not make it that you get there super late. Like, you know, if you buy the tickets on, you know, on the Fandango app, you can um, you can actually pick your seat on the app. That way, when you go pick up your ticket, you got your seat number on it. Like, that's a cool concept. The reclining seats, I mean, you know, it, it's kind of cool. It's the equivalent of you buying, like, high-end theater seats for your house. But I do agree. You definitely feel comfortable if they kick up the AC a little bit. Dude, I was watching Evil Dead, and I was just sitting back like, damn. I could, I could get used to this shit. <laughs> it's like... I I have no issue with the, you know, up in the comfort level, especially since you said they didn't up the ticket price, but that's just going too far. <laughs> yeah, dude, I was I was I was extremely relaxed. And the good thing is that the seats are spaced far enough apart that you really can't hear a lot of the noise. Like there was there were people sitting on the on the um right side of the theater and there were some loud ass motherfuckers over there and I mean if I would have been sitting over there you'd probably have to bail me out of jail but it wasn't like people that were sitting a row in front of us they would talk and shit but you really couldn't hear them which was good because the spacing was incredibly wide I, I can't wait for, for Alamo Draft House to open dude because that's going to be the test I know that they're opening the one in Yonkers in July but I'm not going out there yeah it's like Every theater needs to be like that. Not saying that every theater needs to sell alcohol because they definitely do not. No. But I want to open a movie theater. Fuck it. I'll have like IMAX screens on every every fucking theater. But I want I want my freaking ushers to look like fucking. I, basically, I want to hire. I want to call Ryback and fucking have all my ushers look like that. Dude, I They're work talking shit. They will not. They won't ask you to. You know, ask you to leave once. Yep. Then they will physically eject you from the theater. Get the fuck out. You're when, ruining it for everybody else. Well, we now you're going to be entertainment for the people that are staying quiet. Because I'm going to throw you the fuck out. When I when when I worked in the movie theater, it was funny because the way we had to do it was you either you if somebody complains, you go in, you tell them to be quiet. If they complain again, you 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 warn them that they'll be removed, and then on the third one they get removed. That's it. Now the crazy thing is, 
sometimes people would abuse that in the sense that they'd be like, oh, you know, it's too loud in there, blah, blah, blah. And we'd have to give them passes to come back another day. So people would game that shit. In, in, in Alamo, the way it works is they you know the rules coming in. They're like, if your phone is on, if you're talking or whatever, we tell you once. If we got to come to you a second time, we're throwing you out. That's it. Like, they have a strict policy. Super strict. So, I mean, you know, like, something like Iron Man 3, you know it's opening weekend. People are going to be loud. People are going to cheer. Like, that's the way it is opening weekend. So, I'm debating, you know, do I go see that or do I see the the, the hopefully quiet pain and gain, you know? It's like, I want to see Iron Man 3 because I want to review it, plus I want to see it. But, who knows? But I'll take what you said into consideration about IMAX 3D because it's, you know, if it's not, if it's not all, if it's not worth the investment, then, you know, I mean, I kind of do want to see Tony Stark's house get destroyed in IMAX though. That shit is going to look awesome. Yeah, I agree. I don't know about 3D. Yeah, the 3D shit, I'm not, you know, 3D is not a big deal for me. The only time 3D was badass was like with Avengers and stuff like that, where it was filmed in a way that it, the 3D worked. It was really a non-factor. But, you know, from what I've seen in Iron Man, maybe when the suits fly in in 3D, maybe that would look cool and shit like that, or when they fire the rockets to destroy his house. But it's not the in-your-face 3D anyway, so who knows? Oh. I just want to know if the movie's actually good. And it's like, if people are just running to see this, like, you know, it made money in China because it was shot in China. Right. So people went out to support, which yeah, ain't nothing wrong with that. But honestly, like, this, so far, other than the scene where, like, he's testing out the armor and everything, there's it's not, and, you know, well, when it's a house to get destroyed, there's not a whole lot that I've seen in the trailer that just say, I must see this movie. I must run out and give you my money to see this movie. No, I mean, I I understand that. The only movie in May that's screaming at me like that right now is Star Trek Into Darkness. True. Because that shit looks insane. Star Trek looks awesome, plus Benedict Cumberbatch is right up there with uh, Morgan Freeman. Like, yo, narrate my life and every crime I commit. But, you know... I mean, to each his own. It, it, it's weird the way you say that because different people have been saying, uh, you know. Like some people are saying, you know, avoiding it could be a possibility. Save yourself the disappointment. But, you know, some people are saying it's better than two, but not better than one. Some people are saying it could have been better. I got to give full shout out to Captain Quark because Pacific Rim Punching giant monsters in the face inside a robot is all about that. I'm all about that shit. When the fuck is that movie coming out? I think in June. I think. I gotta look, because I got the new trailer. I saw the trailer, but I haven't heard shit about it since I saw the trailer last year. Oh, dude, Pacific Rim, I got a new trailer. I gotta put it up. See, I'll see if I put it up after I finish editing the show tonight. Dude, it is... Serious, dude. Here's this rocket-powered elbow punching a monster in the face. Yes. All about that shit. It's like, 
yeah, come out in IMAX 3D. Come watch this screen test to see if a fucking Voltron movie will work. Dude, I, that's if, basically what Pacific Rim is. Dude, Let's it, see if a Voltron movie can work. If Guillermo, if Guillermo del movie. if Guillermo del Toro did um, Voltron the way that they're doing Pacific Rim, it would be ridiculous. Just robot fighting robeasts. Del Toro could actually do an Evangelion movie. Yeah, or Evangelion movie. He's one of the few people that could do some sick shit like that. That works for me. Like, I, I need a movie like that that's just really, the aside from being action-heavy, is just really fucked up outside of, you know, what's going on outside of the fight. Oh, yeah, well, you want, you want Watchmen with robots. <laughs> that's what you want, Basically. I understand. There you go. Oh. I'm I'm good. That wraps it up. You got anything else to add? No, nah, man. I'm good, now. All right. Thank you for the call in. Thank you for helping me wrap up entertainment this week. Yes, sir. All right, dude. I'll catch you later. Later. Peace. You've just heard my Take Radio episode 182 for Thursday, May 2nd, 2013. If you have any questions, concerns, or would like to be a guest on a future episode of MTR, You can email me at mtrhost at mytakeradio.com. You can also hit up our feedback line, 347-815-0687. That's 347-815-0MTR. You can also follow My Take Radio on Twitter, at My Take Radio. You can follow Slick at MTR Slick, Captain Quark at Quark MTR, John Blade at John U. Butler, um, Andrea at Andrea MTR, Ben at Blackout89, Jay Santi at Jay Santi PSW. So that's how you can keep up with all the My Take Radio staff on Twitter. You can also find us on Facebook. Become a fan on our Facebook fan page. Add us to your circle on Google+. You can also get the full MTR experience on Android and iTunes by purchasing the My Take Radio app. It's $1.99. You get access to all the shows in 96K stereo plus exclusive content including My Take Radio Beyond the Mic and My Take Radio Behind the Mic, plus the Minority Film Report. We're going to probably be putting up more videos, mobile wallpapers, and all that stuff, so that'll be on the MTR app. I am hearing rumblings that they may be developing a free version of the app for us. If that's the case, I will let you guys know, but until then, it's $1.99. It's cheaper than a cup of coffee at Starbucks. You can always listen to MTR on the Blog Talk Radio Network, the Zune Marketplace, which I think is still active, TuneIn Radio, Stitcher, and, of course, good old iTunes. If you're getting the shows from iTunes, please take a moment and rate the show. We'd really appreciate it, and it helps us get into the top 100 and helps grow the show. On behalf of myself, Slick, and the rest of the team, I will catch you guys next week. Taking us out this week, I think we're going to go with The Awakening by the Maniac Agenda. You can get their music at facebook.com forward slash the maniac agenda or maniac music.net. You can also find their music on SoundCloud. Just look for the maniac agenda. All right, guys, I'm out. Thanks for listening. Peace. That's all, folks. Uh, uh.